From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, it is the biggest ever takeover of a private software company. Adobe has agreed to buy the software design startup Figma in a deal valued at $20 billion. We're going to hear from executives at both companies in an exclusive interview. Plus, the merge is here. Success. We're going to hear from an Ethereum core developer about whether it's all going to plan and what is next. And climate tech investor and entrepreneur David Friedberg is with it, us. You might also know him as a bestie on the All In Pod. We'll ask about his new SPAC, today's big tech M&A, and Elon Musk. First, though, I want to get a look at the markets with Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow at another seesaw session, tech lower economic data at the heart of it. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, and it was a mixed bag as well. Data showing that perhaps demand for jobs is holding up in the US, slightly softer retail sales, and all at the same time factory output increasing. Why do we care? Because we're trying to look for signs in the market about what the Federal Reserve will do next Wednesday with rates. The Nasdaq 100, a real underperformer, down 1.7%. Both the Nasdaq 100, a tech-heavy index, of course, and the S&P 500, the main gauge of U.S. equities, at their lowest level since July. At the same time, you see semiconductors weaker while yields push higher. I want to bring you some breaking news, Em, that we got after the market closed. FedEx has scrapped its full-year earnings guidance for 2023. FedEx, not a company that you and I usually track, but look below it. That's why we care. Amazon down 2% in after hours. There was a feeling that actually Amazon would be resilient in the second half of this year because it's been putting in place cost-cutting measures. There was some hope that the consumer, particularly in the US, would remain resilient. But in FedEx's earnings statement, they said that actually, while they have also cut costs, there's a real slowdown in activity from the consumer globally. So lots of conversations to be had in the next 24 hours about what that means for Amazon at a time where we're positioning ourselves for the holiday season. We're also thinking about crypto, of course, and Ether lower on Thursday, bringing other digital currencies down with it. The merge, M, I know you're going to talk a lot about this during the show, but there's a feeling in the market that this was a sell the news event on finally the merge happening, the, the major upgrade to the 
underlying network behind Ether that we've been waiting so long for. There's only really one stock that I was tracking in the market on Thursday, Adobe, buying Figma for a $20 billion deal, stock and cash. That chart says it all right. That's the market reaction. Really big drop in the stock. And analysts basically saying this was expensive. They paid a lot of money for this company. It was defensive. This is them going out there trying to do something. And there's execution risk for Adobe as well. And I think you might have a good guess to talk to about that right now. All right, Ed Ludlow, thank you. Another headline and some other stories we're following now. A number of social platforms will announce new actions to combat hate crimes and racially motivated violence at a summit hosted by President Biden at the White House. Representatives from Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Microsoft all planning to attend. The company's new efforts will be unveiled alongside a package of federal initiatives to design and address hate-fueled violence. Meantime, hundreds of workers at an Amazon warehouse in Coventry, England, are now striking over pay. They've been threatening strikes across the UK after a major rise in the cost of living. Any action to protest against the company's pay packages would likely take place in November, according to the union. And the UK will open an in-depth probe of Microsoft's planned $69 billion purchase of the video game maker Activision Blizzard. Regulators saying the deal could hamper competition and that Microsoft turned down the chance to offer remedies to address its concerns. If the merger goes through, it'll make Microsoft the world's third largest gaming company. We're going to be right back bringing you those exclusive interviews with the CEO of Figma on the back of that deal coming up next. This is Bloomberg. Brazilian agriculture company is planning to list in the U.S. via SPAC with the help of one of the most prominent climate tech entrepreneurs. Lavaro helps farmers boost production by offering a suite of key ingredients like seeds, fertilizer, and more. I want to get right to David Friedberg now, a longtime founder turned investor focused on climate technology, the CEO of the production board, which just merged with Lavaro, as well as you might know him as the co-host of the All In podcast, David. So great to have you with us, big listener here. Thanks, Talk to us about the thesis behind this SPAC deal. Why SPAC, why now? Yeah, so we set up the SPAC about a year ago specifically to do a strategic transaction, meaning we were seeking a business that operates at scale in a market that we know well, food, agriculture, biomanufacturing, life sciences, and where we believe technology that exists in our portfolio of businesses could be additive and accretive to their operations. And we know ag very well. Um, came across Lavoro, which is the largest ag retailer in Brazil, leading ag inputs retailer in Latin America. Um, and this business really has an incredible opportunity 
to transform how farmers farm in this market. And Latin America is the largest ag export market globally. It is the largest provider of calories around the world. Um, and so this is a massive opportunity because farmers locally in that market don't utilize the best technology. They don't uh, have the greatest productivity, which is yield per acre. And using ag retail, we can actually access that farmer and really transition them to new technologies like biologics, software, and other tools that can massively improve their productivity. Uh, and that results in more calories, more sustainability of food production. And it's so impactful because this region is so important globally right now. So I'm curious about the decision uh, to do us back in general when they've been under a lot of pressure. You know, they've almost disappeared in the last few weeks. Why do you choose that? Why did you choose that as the vehicle? Yeah, so we set up a SPAC um, last summer. And so we've been, um, you know, it's the only off balance sheet uh, vehicle we have. The rest of our operations at the production board are all balance sheet driven capital. Um, and we build and, and invest in businesses off our balance sheet. And we did this specifically because there were public market investors that were interested in partnering with us. And we thought that this could be a really great mechanism to find a business that we could be useful to. Uh, and that's exactly what we're doing. So, so we're actually investing $100 million off our balance sheet into the transaction. And several of our businesses are going to be partnering with Lavoro um, in the future, we do hope, uh, as a way to bring new technology to that important market. Uh, and so this is a really great strategic vehicle. And the SPAC is really just a mechanism for doing that. Uh, and for getting a meaningful ownership stake in a business of scale. I mean, this business, as we show in the presentation, um, should do about 1.6 billion top line uh, this uh, uh, this year, and is doing about 172 million pro forma adjusted EBITDA this uh, calendar year, growing to 277 next year. Um, and so it's a business of scale, it's profitable, and I think that there's a real way to drive um, further uh, margin improvement and further uh, revenue growth with some of the technologies we can bring to bear here. Talk to us about deep tech investing, which has been your thing for so long, how yeah. it's different in a bull and bear market. You know, obviously these are companies that need funding, but it can be a harder sell when times are tough. Yeah. So it's exactly, I mean, what you're saying is exactly right. I mean, deep tech investing typically invests on a milestone based uh, program. So you look at some technical breakthrough, you know, proving something works and then you raise more capital and then you prove the next thing works. And eventually you have a product and eventually you can sell the product and make the product and eventually you can scale, scale into the market. Uh, and so that takes several years and capital needs to be unlocked uh, in milestone-based uh, um, increments. In a market like this, where you can buy US treasuries and make 4%, or you know, buy a, a great stock that's got a 5% dividend yield and it's a growing business, it's really hard to find capital into highly speculative long-range investment cycles. So the interest rate environment really challenges deep tech. Um, and it really challenges, and, and I think we've particularly seen it of late in the biotech market. I don't know the latest statistic, but as of a few weeks or months ago, 
biotech, um, roughly 40% of public issues were trading below cash. Um, and so I think it really speaks to the challenge that deep tech uh, businesses face. Now, what we're doing with Lavoro as an example, and what I think happens often nowadays in biotech, and will continue to happen with other um, more deep tech um, investing cycles is to partner. So you partner with the large business, you partner with the business that has scale, reach, distribution, cash flow that can really benefit if your deep tech pursuit unlocks some value or some opportunity for their customer base. Um, and so I think that's what we'll see more of um, likely going forward, less of the VCs making you know big check investments early stage, hoping for something to, um, you know, to hit that you'll likely need to see much more strategic partnership happen to get these things across the finish line. I'm so curious what you make of the Patagonia founder giving away his company to fight climate change. What do you think about it? And is that something more Silicon Valley founders and CEOs should be doing? Yeah, he's always been an interesting guy. Um, you know, he operates uh, his business in a different way than I think a traditional capitalist thinks about operating their business. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't seem surprising knowing the personality and the way he's talked about things in the past and the decisions he's made. I mean, I think uh, he kind of banned putting financial services firms logos, you know, as part of their custom embroidery programs that they were having for a while, a, a few years ago. Um, and look, I mean, it's going to go into these blind trusts, into these irrevocable trusts. And I'm sure that the uh, stewards or the trustees will continue to operate this business in a smart way. Uh, I, I doubt that the trustees are, are going to basically shred the thing and give it away. I'm sure they're going to continue to run the business and that the dividends and the profits generated from that business over time can be used to fund, um, you know, uh, initiatives uh, in climate change mitigation. Uh, and, um, and I think that that's a very noble way to transfer the ownership of your business rather than just give it away to a bunch of NGOs and nonprofits, let the trustees that you know and trust operate the business for you that can generate cash and value over time, and then decide where that cash and where that value should be allocated to really drive impact in the world. So it's it's a great noble decision and um, you know really fits well with the way he's talked about what he's done in the past. Meantime, I gotta ask you, since the Twitter-Musk dispute has been a running topic on your All-In pod, you interviewed Elon Musk at the All-In Summit. Do you think this deal goes through? Uh, does Musk end up buying Twitter? And if so, how does that change the social media ecosystem? Yeah, I think, um, look, th there are probably two key things at play here. The first is, you know, what, what ends up happening in the courts as they go through this, this legal process. And um, uh, I, I saw a great uh, post by a legal analyst a few weeks ago, and I wish I could remember the person's name and reference them. Uh, but they said, you know, the Delaware um, court there, the Chancery Court, is less likely uh, to try and force a deal to close because then if the parties don't actually close the deal, it really damages the reputation and the integrity of the court. And that there's a, a case to be made that Musk would just simply say, no, I'm not closing. You know, do what you want. 
give me a fine of a billion dollars. I don't care. I'm not closing the merger on these terms. And so it's this legal analyst pointed out that it's unlikely that they'll close the deal on those, or that the, the court will try and force the deal. And I think on the other side, he saw value in the community. He saw value in the user base. He saw value in the social network. And I'm sure he still does. Um, and you know, regardless of what he's identified with respect to the bot problem or the spam problem, as he calls it, that there must still be value there. So I would say that based on those two conditions, there's probably a bid-ass gap that maybe gets met still. Um, and I would envision that there's still a motivation to do something here that is probably a function of the true size of the true network of users on that platform, because it is such an important platform. Deep down, he probably still really wants to do something. And on the other side, the court may end up saying, hey, you know, there's, um, there's some way that you guys, we're only going to charge a fine here, which forces Twitter back to the table to negotiate price and maybe something happens. So, you know, that would be my middle of the line kind of middle, middle of the, uh, the aisle here kind of decision or, or, or um, uh, perspective on what might end up happening over the next uh, couple of months here. Um, All so right. well, we'll, we'll see. We'll be listening. Yeah. We'll be listening to the podcast for more commentary. Dave Friedberg, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for stopping by. We'll be right back with more of Bloomberg Technology. This is Bloomberg. Let's get back to that Adobe deal to buy software design startup Figma. This deal valued at $20 billion is the biggest ever takeover of a private software company. I want to bring in Figma's co-founder and CEO, Dylan Field now, as well as Adobe's president of the digital media business, David Wadwani, for more on this historic deal. Exclusive interview. Dylan, kind of the Silicon Valley dream coming true here. You stick with your initial idea, you develop it for a decade, you sell it for billions of dollars. There are still people ask, out there asking $20 billion? What do you think is the potential here? And why is Figma worth $20 billion? Well, first of all, I just want to give a giant shout out and thank you to the Figma team. Uh, I am on this interview today and there are so many other people that have been involved in the success of Figma along the way, past Figmates, current Figmates, and I want to thank all of them. Of course, this is about moving forward now and uh, how much potential there is in a combined Figma-Adobe combo. And we really believe there's such potential here, uh, whether it's looking at Figma and thinking about how we can accelerate our efforts with FigJam through um, Adobe Acrobat and their giant install base and uh, their productivity case there, whether it's about the Figma design platform today and how we can bring capabilities from Adobe in whether it be imaging, vector illustration, video, 3D, or more, or it's thinking outside the box of where we're currently at, thinking about developers and thinking about markets we're not serving and we were not planning to serve, such as creatives, and thinking about how do we bring the capabilities of Adobe onto the Figma platform and make it so that creatives are able to have more collaborative workflows 
make those workflows web-based and make it so that creativity, design, and software development are more accessible to more people. We're truly excited about what can become possible there in our combination with Adobe. David, we all thought we were in a downturn and here you are doing a $20 billion deal. Uh, the stock had kind of a rough day as investors digested the number here. What's your response to that? Look, we, we at Adobe, uh, we're entering our 40th year and uh, we continue to be very aggressive about the opportunities that, that we see. If you look at uh, the opportunity head and what Dylan and the amazing team at Figma have built, uh, they've built a company that's uh, two, basically going to add $200 million of ARR this year, crossing $400 million by the end of the year, uh, and, uh, and addressing a TAM that's $16.5 billion. And when you put it in the context of the efficiency of the business, cash flow positive with a net dollar retention rate over 100 uh, 50%. There are very few companies uh, with that profile. And in the context of what we see and some of the things Dylan talked about, when we look, uh, look ahead and the synergies we can do to accelerate uh, Figma's move into that $16.5 billion TAM, to accelerate what we do in terms of our core creative flagship applications, uh, reimagined with the technology running on top of the Figma platform, uh, and when you think about it in the context of how Dylan was talking about with FigJam and Acrobat, really coming in at that cross-intersection uh, cross of um, creativity and productivity, we think that the market opportunity here is massive, uh, and this was a great time right. to make that, that play. Uh, Dylan, there was a great tweet from uh, Ruben Harris, another startup entrepreneur out there, he compared Figma to Instagram. Well, if you think about it that way, you hear the numbers that J David just rattled off, you're cash flow positive, you could have gone public as soon as the window opened. Why sell? Why not try to build your own $150 billion company and go public on your own terms? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're super thankful that we had the ability to control our own destiny here. But at the end of the day, we have to think about our community. We have to think about the impact that we can have and what timeline we can have that impact on. And we believe that this accelerates the impact we can have, that this broadens the impact we can have. And by leveraging and utilizing the expertise of Adobe, the capabilities, the technology they built, uh, as well as the amazing people they have uh, and they've attracted over the past three decades, um, we think that we're able to basically scale the impact we have beyond just design and move into new areas and be able to have more impact faster. And that's why we've done this deal. David, I, I know you were the architect of this deal and you also sold a couple of companies, including uh, one to Adobe in your earlier days. What kind of advice did you give Dylan through this process, you know, personal advice in the best interest of, you know, Figma and his company and not necessarily the company that you work for now. Yeah, well, I think I look at it as, as a shared common interest and, and shared objective here. So, you know, D Dylan and I have known, known each other for a few years and uh, we started having this conversation in earnest a few months ago. 
having gone through this process, being acquired as part of Macromedia into Adobe, the things I know are if you have sh uh, shared purpose, if you have a, sh a shared passion, uh, and you have a, a clarity in terms of how you're going to actually operate and go after the market, uh, great things will happen because there's so much that we have in common in terms of how we want to approach the market. And Dylan and I have been very clear in terms of how we're planning to run this. Dylan will remain CEO of, uh, of Figma and, uh, and he and I will be working very closely to make sure that the decisions that he makes with the autonomy that he needs to keep the things that are special about uh, Figma special, uh, combined with the things that we can do surgically to uh, accelerate the business, accelerate our technology vision, and accelerate move into new markets. Uh, that's really the foundation. And the, the big, the most important thing, and we talked a lot about this through the process, is shared vision and trust. And, and I certainly have a tremendous amount of respect for what Dylan and the team has done. And I think he, he's, he knows me well enough that he knows that I'm a person of my word and we're going to do great things together. It's mutual and it's really helped so, that we there <laughs> for a few years prior as well. Dylan, you know, you, Figma was making Adobe sweat. What's it going to be like joining your competitor and how do you preserve the culture of the Figmates, as you say? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the more that we learned about Adobe, the less we thought about them as a competitor, honestly. Uh, again, you know, we're over here in the product design and product and software creation space. Uh, and Adobe is largely in the marketing space uh, when it comes to digital media. And so we really see this as a way to broaden our opportunities. Uh, and also, you know, the more that we got to know Adobe, the more we saw shared vision, shared purpose, shared values, like David referenced. Uh, at Figma, one of our values is build community. Another one's craftsmanship. These are values that Adobe has in spades. And because of the autonomy and the ability to continue to build our culture, our team, uh, we really think that we'll be able to continue to accelerate our culture. Uh, and I'm very excited to explore what this acquisition means to the team and figure out how we can have even more impact on our community and our ecosystem. For me, uh, I grew up using Adobe software. And so the chance to help Adobe uh, think about the next generation of creative tools and how they are um, you know, used collaboratively and what they mean in a web browser context, that's a dream come true. And I'm, I'm really excited for this. All right, Figma co-founder and CEO Dylan Field, along with Adobe's president of the digital media business, David Wadwani. Thank you both for sharing both sides of it. All right, coming up, we are talking everything merge and whether Ethereum's energy consumption will truly decline by that estimated 99%. This is Bloomberg. most important commercial highway, Ethereum, has just been repaved. The blockchain network completed the crypto world's biggest and most ambitious software upgrade to date. This according to its co-founder, Vitalik Buterin. 
The upgrade is called the merge and appears to be a sell the news event. Bloomberg Shanali Vasek has been covering for this. And Shanali, have you been up all night long? Watching <laughs> I did this thing certainly happen? wake up at 2 a.m. <laughs> to see what had happened. Yes, Emily. And while it was successful, remember, and also one of the biggest upgrades we've ever seen in the cryptocurrency industry, it is still the beginning of many changes for Ethereum ahead to get to those ultimate goals that Ethereum is looking for. So what is really changing? Now we are moving to this proof of stake model. We are moving over from that reliance on miners to stakers who are used to validate the chain and really start to expand uh, other things that Ethereum is really looking to do, which has become more scalable, improve transaction fees and gas fees. But, you know, that's not going to happen right away. There are things that you've seen Vitalik Buterin talk about today on Twitter that will start to get you closer to that. But there are still some concerns right now as we look at the merge and how the next couple of days and weeks work out. What are those concerns? Those include scammers potentially appearing and creating forks that look a lot like the Ethereum chain as it continues through the merge. And you're also worried about the impacts on the layer twos that are tied to Ethereum. You're also worried about any unanticipated glitches that are not just tied to this particular merge, but the future upgrades, because those are the ones that are going to do the things that we want to see from Ethereum which is improve those transaction fees and speeds. So when we take a look here, to, the, to your point, you're seeing some pressure on Ethereum. But remember, this is not really all about the merge. This is also tied to a lot of other issues that are happening in the macro environment. The merge, while there were a lot of people buying it leading into this news, there was a lot of education that went around the merge in terms of you know, the future for Ethereum and what it looks like as people really start to take to the staking model and really bake in the place of Ethereum, not just in the crypto community, but while we have all these other global issues going on that are headwinds, Emily, including a hiking interest rate cycle around the world that can per pressure on crypto assets, including Ethereum. So a lot still for Ethereum ahead. But again, the next few weeks will be pretty critical as people bake in this news. All right, Shanali, hang on. I want to bring in Preston Van Loon now, Ethereum core developer and co-founder of Prismatic Labs. Preston, thank you so much for joining us. Love to get your technical perspective here. It seems like it's been a success so far. When will we know for sure? Well, the merge event is definitely was a success. Um, you know, the merge is Ethereum's uh, switch from proof of work to proof of stake. It's literally merging the proof of stake blockchain that Ethereum launched uh, almost two years ago with the Ethereum mainnet. And uh, we've seen that's had consistent uh, block production and consistent finality so far, everything's a success. Uh, I think what we'll see over time is do the metrics hold up? Do we continually see uh, nearly 100% participation? Do we see consistent block fin uh, finalization and a healthy network in the coming weeks and months? You know, l looking out longer term, what are you going to be? watching for? Are there any potential um, 
red flags that you are are, are going to be looking out for? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, with, with these kind of uh, upgrades, it's uh, really important that Ethereum stays online, right? It It's uh, a really hard uh, thing to do. Um, but, you know, with these upgrades, they're also so uh, complex, right? So there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, we do a lot of testing. We make sure that uh, things are working really well before we do the upgrades. But uh, things we're looking for, right, is making sure liveness is continued. We still have the, the same uptime uh, as before. Uh, one of the cool benefits of the switch of proof of stake is that it's a much smoother blockchain. Blocks are delivered in a, a, a more consistent fashion every 12 seconds versus uh, probabilistically every 13 seconds. Um, so really, we're just main, maintaining that uh, the software stays online, that participants are staying online, that uh, um, the network is staying healthy. How do you know when this will be successful? Obviously, the price action today wasn't all that good. And well, actually, it was down today. But you did see it rising very significantly until this point overall before we really hit the crypto winter. There was a lot of excitement around this. But when do you really see the benefits of the new economy of the system? Well, we're seeing the benefits today. Um, the switch is immediate, right? So the the energy efficiency gain that we've realized to the 99.99% uh, more efficient model is in effect immediately today and, and the prior model immediately ceased. So we already see that benefit. We see the benefit of increased decentralization. There are way more actors in the in Ethereum producing blocks today. Um, in principle, um, Ethereum's proof of stake is working now. It is successful now and uh, it's, it's running uh, smoothly. You know, uh, somehow pandas, Preston, have become like the signature meme of yeah. the Ethereum merge. Can you explain that to me? <laughs> well, it, it is a meme, right? So there's uh, only so much uh, I can explain here. But the idea was that we have <laughs> uh, like a polar bear and a black bear and representing ETH1, ETH2, the, the two layers that are merging together. Uh, and apparently those two things make a panda. Uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, uh, totally accurate in ter uh, terms of science, but it, it is a fun meme and a uh, thing we really <laughs> enjoy. What comes next? You know, this is very much, you know, a step in a series of more steps that will presumably give more people who are related to Ethereum lower transaction fees, faster transactions. But when do you really start to see that happen? Yeah, this the switch to proof of stake has really, you know, un unlocked the next uh, stages of upgrades. Uh, Ethereum still has a, a very uh, ambitious roadmap and a very uh, uh, large amount of work to do in the next coming years. Um, we see that uh, there's already scaling through layer two technologies. And what we want to do there is to increase the security and data availability guarantees that Ethereum has. So what that means is to provide more data securely for things like layer two to uh, 
provide that uh, uh, transaction scaling. Um, and at some point, we'll be also working on, you know, the idea about uh, sharding and having more transaction throughput on the layer one, the base protocol of Ethereum. Uh, but really, you know, this is helping the switch proof of stake is really unlocking all these things and helping Ethereum become a global settlement layer that it aims to be. Longer term, Preston, how do you think this could impact the broader ecosystem, whether it's, you know, in terms of just a lesson, uh, the lesson that we see here or the broader technology? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think that um, the energy inefficiency of, of uh, proof of work is uh, uh, rightfully criticized by many, and uh, that may have been preventing developers from building on Ethereum and from uh, participating in Ethereum's network. Uh, and now that that's uh, uh, out of the way, we can we can start to see more builders and bring on more developers and. Uh, continue to build interesting decentralized applications. All right, Preston Renloom, Ethereum core developer and the co-founder of Prismatic Labs. Uh, thanks so much for giving us your technical view there. Uh, we're gonna continue to cover the merge. Shanali, stay with us. We're gonna talk about it from a crypto exchange perspective. The president of FTX US, Brett Harrison, joins us next to talk about spot trading and more. Get back to the big story in the crypto world now, and that is the Ethereum merge complete. But with the transition to proof of stake, some community participants still preferring to keep supporting the mining-based proof of work version. So a hard fork is expected to follow within hours, splitting the chain in two, which prompted some crypto exchanges to adapt, like FTX, who was the first crypto trading platforms, one of them to launch spot trading for Ethereum proof of work tokens. Let's bring in FTX US president, Brett Harrison for more along with our crypto contributor, Shanali Basik. So talk to us, Brett, about the dynamics at play with the spot trading here. And the, does this just undermine the merge overall? So with proof of work, in order to be able to support the computational puzzle solving in order to receive the mining rewards from the network, you have to create these giant rigs of servers that are going to solve these computationally hard problems, expend lots of energy to do so. They're very expensive. So all of these companies that put enormous amounts of money and investment into creating these mining rigs suddenly find themselves as useless in the new proof of stake post-merge world for Ethereum. So there has been a consortium of these miners that have banded together to uh, basically create an entire fork, a copy of the Ethereum mainnet uh, to create their own proof of work, kind of classic version of Ethereum and try to keep that going. Now, I agree with you that it sort of undermines the whole purpose here, which is that 
Ethereum moving to proof of stake means that this entire network, which is the most popular network for smart contract-based computation, it is transitioning completely to an, an energy-efficient world and hopefully into a much uh, you know, faster transaction speed and lower transaction costs in the future. And this new ETH POW token isn't going to have the same property. However, these the operators of this network were airdropping these tokens on existing Ethereum, uh, you know, existing Ethereum holders, and they're going to want to be able to claim those Ethereum tokens, the Ethereum W tokens, and trade out of them. And so we wanted to make sure that we allowed that as an exchange operator. Now we aren't supporting deposits and withdrawals in them. We have many concerns over, you know, actors trying to uh, kind of put themselves in the middle of uh, unsuspecting consumers, not being completely sure which Ethereum chain they're they're interacting with, and as a result, you know, basically helping uh, kind of steal money from people who don't really know what's going on, and that's not that's really not good. You know, we are full supporters of this move to proof of stake. We have also supported other. Uh, crypto networks that, all, that have always supported proof of stake, like mm -hmm. Solana, and we think that's really is what the future of crypto is going to hold. But to the point that you were making earlier, on one hand, there's a concern about any potential scamming here, uh, people moving to the wrong areas, but also, you know, uh, while the actual technological change worked well today, how much does something like that undermine any credibility in a system? The majority of the computational effort with regards to these, this Ethereum chain is happening now on the mainnets. And a very small amount of, of power or, and transactions are happening on this new uh, ETH proof of work chain. Or, you know, even though some mining activity has moved to Ethereum Classic and some other kind of EVM proof of work chains that still exist everything is happening really on Ethereum. And so what we probably expect over time is for the activity on these to, to fizzle out. Uh, you know, Vitalik himself has said that he expects and hopes that this will happen and people will you know, basically give up the old way of proof of work, transition completely to proof of stake because this is, you know, a, a superior system in a lot of ways. And obviously there's always trade-offs, you know, security, reliability, speed, the kind of investment you need to get into the network in the first place, level of decentralization. And that's still open for debate between proof of work and proof of stake systems. It brings interesting questions into play with regards to Bitcoin and what its future is going to be. But we and the Ethereum community as a whole really do support this new proof of stake uh, post-merge world. And we expect 100% of the activity to move there over time. What's your response to SEC Chair Gary Gensler's comments on the merge in particular? I mean, you know, he's he's been uh, pretty clear, doesn't think Bitcoin falls under securities regulation, but that post-merge, uh, the Ethereum network could. So there are many complicated legal analyses involved in trying to decipher, you know, which aspects of the system might be securities and which might not. So, for example, um, the CFTC already regulates Ethereum, Ether futures on multiple venues, including CME, ICE, FTX US derivatives, and basically lays claim to that being a commodity. But perhaps the staking 
in such a system might be considered an investment contract of some kind. And that's really an open question. And there are multiple kinds of staking as well. There's you directly participating in the network as a validator. There's you delegating your tokens to a validator to get the rewards from staking. There's also investment staking, which is sort of none of the above, where you, you know, delegate your tokens to some sort of um, protocol, a DeFi protocol, which promises certain yield. All of these have, you know, different uh, characteristics that, you know, may or may not pass the, the four prongs of the Howey test. And it's all an open question. And aside from the regulatory risks, there's also other risks involved in staking. You know, for example, the, mm -hmm. the price action that can occur between now and when Ethereum actually unlocks and the fact that Ethereum uh, staked Ethereum won't unlock for people to reap those rewards for probably six to 12 months still. And there's operational risk involved too. If a validator fails to, uh, to properly validate a block, it could have some of its staked tokens taken away. And so there's a number of risks that are still involved in the aspect of staking. So with those risks, plus that regulatory overhang, to what extent is that a problem when you have a new model that is contingent on staking? From what I understand, FTX doesn't really offer this as a business yet. Coin, uh, Coinbase is making it a much bigger part of their business. But there are still these big open questions about it. The staking and proof of stake networks are a huge part of the crypto ecosystem. And while it's extremely significant that Ethereum has finally moved to proof of stake, it's certainly not the first. And in fact, most other popular blockchains, you know, other than Bitcoin, are already on a proof of stake system. They already have this validator set up where by staking a certain amount of the token in the network, you are guaranteed some amount of the fees from the transaction and you know block validation rewards. And so we're sort of already very long this problem as an industry. What we hope to see is you know, regulatory clarity and continued productive discussions with the SEC. They've been opening oh, very open discussing with us and many other industry players about the possibility of offering some of these services in the future uh, or even presently. And, and hopefully with you know, a lot of uh, movement in Congress, you know, whether it's the DCCPA or, you know, other uh, bills that are that are floating around right now that will start to get better clarity over different crypto products, whether they're considered securities or not, whether there are clear paths to registration for different kinds of either crypto lending or crypto staking activities. And that will be able to, you know, properly register these kinds of uh, investment vehicles if they are ones or make sure that they're not and that they can be considered you know, non-securities and therefore offered by exchanges such as ourselves easily. All right, interesting. So much to continue uh, to follow on this historic day. FTX US President Brett Harrison, thanks for uh, breaking that all down for us and our very own Shanali Basik to you as well. Coming up conversation with Margaret Vestager, European Commissioner for Competition, what she has to say about her historic win against Google next. This is Bloomberg.
In a win for the European Union, a 4 billion euro fine, that's about $4 billion, uh, upheld for Google's treatment of services on the App Store. Earlier, my Bloomberg colleague spoke with Margaret Vestier, executive vice president of the European Commission, where she is in charge of digital and competition policy. Take a listen. This is a win. A uh, huge majority of the case is completely upheld which means that the court has confirmed our view. And, uh, and because of that, of course, we also feel the encouragement uh, to continue enforcing uh, when it comes to big tech. We have a number of investigations ongoing, three uh, Apple cases, one Facebook case, uh, and uh, quite a big uh, Google case uh, also coming up. Does the progress that you made with regards to the Google case, do you think that actually helps you with some of the other antitrust cases that you're bringing? Well, we get the guidance from, uh, from the court uh, on our approaches. Uh, of course, one of the, the major things for us is first to prove dominance. Mm -hmm. Because if you have that kind of market power, mm -hmm. uh, then our rules, they kick in. If you're just a small guy, you know, you can do so many different things. If you're the big guy, if you have the market power, then, of course, we become much more strict. But just to be clear, though, I mean, we know that Google is going to continue to fight this mm -hmm. as long as they can. That, that, that's expected here. Even if you end up with a victory in the traditional sense here, does the prolonging of this fight maybe give those other companies a little bit more encouragement to fight back in their cases as well. Well, I don't, I don't see it this way. Uh, also, because we have regulation coming in to complement what we do with the case-by-case -case enforcement. Uh, the Digital Markets Act was just signed uh, yesterday, so we'll be uh, entering into force uh, mid-October. Uh, and of course, there is some time to adjust uh, to new rules, but by early 24, uh, those who are designated as gatekeepers, you know, real tech market power, mm -hmm. uh, they will have to uh, comply to quite a number of, uh, of prohibitions, but also things that they must do, for instance, share data with uh, some of their customers. Some of already the threats of certain fines and the upholding has changed behavior to a certain degree. And I know that, of course, the EU has had welcomed as positive some of the changes, the proposed changes, indeed, mm. that Google has made. It's interesting when you look at some of the reporting on the Google story from U.S. print, Boston Globe, The Times, saying they call you, well, big tech's tormentor. And I'm interested as to whether you're finding that the U.S. is becoming a tormentor too. When you're here talking with your counterparts from a competitive perspective, do the United States back you in terms of the moves you make on some of the big companies here? Well, I, I have, you know, the first time I came to the US as commissioner for competition with my Google case, people say, oh, what's she talking about? You know, crazy woman. That has changed completely. You know, both public opinion, uh, the legislator in their approach, uh, competition law enforcement, now cases are being brought, the state's also very active. Uh, and it's part of a global development. Uh, we see in South Korea, we see in Australia, we see, you know, around the planet, people say, 
come on, we need an open marketplace, we need the drive for innovation, we need people to have choices. So, uh, so that has changed enormously and of course we follow very closely uh, what happens uh, in Congress uh, and we're very, uh, working very closely with our colleagues here. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Friday, we've got the CEO of Grindr, the new CEO, George Arison. He'll talk about his plan to take on Match and Bumble. And don't forget to check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. If you're crazy about Crocs, get ready to celebrate nonstop during Crocs Week at Academy Sports and Outdoors. From September 12th through September 17th, we'll be all crocked out in stores and online with exclusive promos, prizes, giveaways, and more. So don't wait. Swing by your local Academy store today or visit academy.com to learn how you can participate. And while you're here, shop the great selection of Crocs styles. Text Crocs to 22369 for all event updates. That's Crocs to 22369. The Bible says, be not deceived. What's you're listening to the best of financial issues. Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Monday morning. I'm Shanna Burt continuing on for our founder. I'm sorry, guys, I have an echo in my ear. Um, we are live this morning on this Monday morning. Thanks. And we are taking your calls. If you want to call in, you'll be the first caller in the queue. And the number is 610-363-1110. If you're watching us on Facebook, we ask that you share us with your friends and family so that we can um, help build them up and edify them and teach them how to be good stewards as well. So we'll get into a little bit of economic news this morning. Um, over the weekend, I believe the Inflation Continuation Act did pass in the Senate. Um, actually, it is called the Inflation Reduction Act, but nobody seems to believe that that's actually going to work to reduce inflation. It really is more like a broken promise bill. <laughs> it breaks several of the campaign promises that Joe Biden uh, made when he was campaigning for president, like his promise to shut down the fossil fuel industry. The act um, does seem to contain 
some things that will allow the fast tracking of permits and more drilling on federal land, which he promised to shut down. Um, it also is just really smoke and mirrors um, for the Build Back Better agenda. Biden is still maintaining that taxes won't go up for people making under $400,000 a year, but that is very contrary to what all of the research is showing. In fact, it shows up, shows that um, taxpayers in every bracket will experience more taxes. Um, on the inflation front, you know, we're watching a few things. The things that are really driving inflation are oil prices, which have come down uh, moderately. Um, also, the strength in the labor markets, which last week we got a really strong jobs report again. So even though we are technically in a recession, which is just two negative quarters of GDP, which the Biden administration is still not willing to admit until another organization comes out and says it is. But, you know, time is just ticking and we're going to get another GDP report prior to the midterm elections that I think and hope and pray will be very detrimental to the left and to the Democrats and that we'll see the balance of power shift in the Congress. And sadly enough, we'll have two years of do nothing and then hopefully we can get a strong president back in there that will lead us um, into a more economically stable environment and uh, a more secure environment from a national security standpoint. So just to remind you too, jobs are a lag, what's called a lagging indicator. So as we're looking at the economy, you know, and the markets, um, when we look at the, the economy, jobs show up as decreasing after we already know that we're kind of in a recession. So that's something that happens kind of there toward the, the end. And it doesn't, it's not something that gives us foresight into a coming recession. So earnings season is wrapping up. We have about 87% of companies have already reported. Uh, today, we don't have a lot of significant economic news coming out, but this week we'll get some inflation data and uh, the small business optimism number, which I suspect will be waning even more because small businesses are just having a hard time competing in this really tight job market with bigger companies able to offer bigger benefits, um, you know, more, uh, you know, health, health insurance and things like that that will attract people, work from home. And whereas, you know, a lot of the smaller businesses don't really have that advantage to be able to offer. So they have been really struggling. And, you know, small business is a huge employer in our economy. So when small business hurts, the hurts coming for the rest of us. So last week in the markets, we had the S&P was pretty much flat at 0.4%, and it is still down year-to-date uh, 13%, so still in correction territory. The NASDAQ is was actually up 2.2%, 
last week, but still down 18% from its all-time highs. So uh, hovering down out of bear territory, which is negative 20%, but still in correction territory. Um, we also have um, gold sitting at right about 1800 It's down about 11% since its March highs. And the 10-year bond yield is at 2.8%. It is still inverted. So the inversion is the difference between the 2 and the 10-year number. And that gives you a an indication, they say, although it has predicted nine out of the last five recessions when we get an inverted yield curve, it uh, tends to be a predictor, they say, of recessions, but not all the time and not really in a very consistent manner. But, you know, just to keep it in the forefront, keep it mentioned, it is still inverted. So that means when the... Um, when the two-year rate is higher than the 10-year, which it should not be like that in a normal market. So do we need to worry? What do we need to do? This is financial issues. What do we need to do with our portfolios to, to help protect ourselves? Well, I was in Philippians 4.19 this morning, which says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is why we don't have to worry about the markets, the economy, inflation, jobs. We have the promise of God to richly supply all of our needs. But wait, who has that promise? Is it is it for everybody? No, unfortunately it's not. It's for believers. Those of us who have submitted ourselves to the obedience of Christ and who have allowed the Holy Spirit to operate and flow through us. The Holy Spirit motivates us to care for others and to use our resources to express love and, and show, uh, share our resources with others. It is God who gives seed to the sower. He gives more to those who have been faithful with a little. So one of those principles that we always talk about, little by little. So let me encourage you, you know, even if you're feeling fearful right now, don't eat your seed. So if you, if you realize that's not you and that that promise is not for you, you're not included in that group that I mentioned. It's very simple. Go to our resources page and click on, do you want to know God? You'll be able to see there why we talk about the things that we talk about so often, about stewardship, about the promises of God, and how those are available to us. So knowing God is a prerequisite to qualifying for living in His blessings. Well, you might think, I know lots of rich people <laughs> who don't know God, and they seem to be fine. In fact, they seem to be much better off than I am. If you believe that, you've missed the point entirely. Money is not the only way that God blesses his children richly. For some, he pays or blesses with time, some with relationships, 
some with influence, some with peace, and yes, some with money. He blesses us with more of what we have been faithful with. That's just a principle that he set into motion. So whatever you find yourself with an abundance of, commit it to the Lord and use it wisely. Maybe it's money. Use it wisely. Maybe it's time because you just lost your job or a spouse. Use it, whatever it is, wisely to serve the Lord. You have time. You can pray for yourself and pray for others. Pray for the world. If it's experience, share it. I'm sure it will help somebody. If it's hope that has been gained from walking through a trial or heartbreak that you've just survived, share it. If it's knowledge, share it. If it's peace, share it. So good stewardship involves sharing, but it's that prerequisite to know the Lord that comes first. So make things, make sure you've got things in order. I'm Shanna Burt, and I'll be back with more financial issues right after this. you're crazy about Crocs, get ready to celebrate nonstop during Crocs Week at Academy Sports and Outdoors. From September 12th through September 17th, we'll be all crocked out in stores and online with exclusive promos, prizes, giveaways, and more. So don't wait. Swing by your local Academy store today or visit academy.com to learn how you can participate. And while you're here, shop the great selection of Crocs styles. Text Crocs to 22369 for all event updates. That's Crocs to 22369. Amazon Business Honors Jill Lau, Chief Procurement Officer of Global Network Bank. Last week, Jill saved big and used Amazon Business to help her team buy 327 headsets. Now Bob can keep his conversations to himself. Wait, am I still on speakerphone? With business buying easier than before, Jill now uses her extra time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. Thank you for holding Hang it up, Bob. Today with Amazon Business, Shannon Stuckey of Walburn Woodworking helped her team buy 63 circular saws. Okay, Andy, take it easy. Now she uses her time to focus on growing something big. Buy smarter, dream bigger. Visit Amazon Business, your partner for smart business buying. You're listening to the best of financial issues. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I am Shanna Burt. I'm a financial advisor in private practice. Securities are offered through GA Rebel and Company, registered broker dealer and investment advisor, member of FINRA and SIPC. My opinions are my own and don't necessarily represent those of the media outlet that you're watching on, nor my broker dealer. And it is for informational purposes. If you employ other financial professionals, you should um, do your own due diligence and run this information by them before you try to apply it to yourself. So this is the Ask Shanna part of the show where I get to some partner questions and try to answer those. We are taking calls. If you want to be the first caller in the queue, 
you can reach us at 610-363-1110. So just as a reminder to the partners, um, the best way to get your question answered quickly is to call in. So this is a, uh, the partner strategy is a do-it-yourself strategy. Just want to encourage you to review all of the videos and all of the FAQs on the website that's available to partners prior to calling in or posting your question there. Um, also, just want to remind you, don't ask questions or reveal any you know, stock names or anything like that. Compromise the partner strategy. This ministry is heavily supported by partnerships, and we want to protect the integrity of the partnership. Also, ask your question rapid fire style. They do tend to get a little bit long and that takes up even more time. So just kind of summarize your question the best that you can. So let's get right to that. We've got a, a question from Sherry and she says that she's retired. She may go back to work in October. Uh, she's growth and income investor. She has uh, some shares of CD92 um, at an average cost of 132. The stocks come down. Wondering if it's a good time to add to my position. The stock pays a great dividend and um, it is a small cap. And she says, thanks for taking over for Dan. We all miss him dearly, but are grateful for your expertise. Prayers for you and the whole FISM family. Well, Sherry, I really appreciate that, especially on the back of what I just said with uh, stewardship. You know, time is another thing that we that we get to steward. So anytime that we hear that someone praying for us or for the ministry, we are so grateful for that because we know that you have sacrificed some of your precious time to lift us up to the throne room. So to answer your question, um, it, it would be okay to, uh, the stock does have a positive 30-day trend. It is a small cap restaurant, so, you know, I would prepare for a little bit of a bumpy ride in the environment that we're in. You know, small caps are always going to be volatile, but um, given that is a, it is a small part of the portfolio and the things that you want to check first you want to look at your allocation if you're overweighted in that particular sector first the answer is no if you come down to the second question now you're looking at do you have diversification within the sector with the different subsectors so you know if it's uh, discretionary um, you've got a restaurant Maybe you want to have, you know, a retailer. Maybe you want to have some of the, some of the other types of investments or some of the other types of companies in that discretionary to get further diversified. So if you only have that one stock and you're underweighted, then I would be in favor of putting the money somewhere else. We will be, I didn't get to it this morning before the show, just because um, you know, we're still working out all the little technology glitches, so I didn't get to update the partner buy list yet, but we really only have about one stock to add to that, and it is in the consumer discretionary area. So check that out a little bit later after the show. 
Um, let's see. We also have Bonnie. And Bonnie says that she's added MA86 to her portfolio some time ago. Uh, my brokerage account shows it has received 14 shares of another stock due to a merger with MA86 in June. The new stock is not listed on the broad or buy list. Could you please tell me if I should keep the shares? If I do merge, the, do I merge them on my tracker? Thanks so much for continuing the good work that God has called you to at Financial Issues. Well, thank you for that encouragement, Bonnie. And so, yes, MA86 uh, spun off its petroleum business in June of 2022. So they would be considered two different companies in two different sectors. MA86 would continue to be in the materials and MA stock. Um, but the other one is, uh, you're, you're correct, it is not on the broad list yet. When companies do spinoffs or mergers or things like that, it sometimes takes us, you know, six, six to 12 months to see the track record of what management is going to do to determine, number one, if they're going to be biblically responsible, and then number two, if it's a company that we even need to follow. So you could hang on to it uh, until then. If you want, I would just code it to a different sector. Or if you're overweighted in, in that sector already, that might be a good place to start to trim. So, all right, we have a question from Keith. And Keith is saying, I have my investment split 30-70 between taxable and qualified or qualified and non-qualified. Do you have any recommendations to which investments should be in each account? For example, should I buy stocks that pay dividends in the qualified accounts due to deferring taxes for the future or in the taxable account? Thanks for all you do. So when possible, you know, if you have different types of accounts, they have different tax treatment. If you have an IRA account, you are postponing your taxes, meaning that you get a tax break on the money that you put in now. So if you're in the 12% tax bracket, you don't have to pay the 12% on that income. You get to kick the can down the road to some future date. In my opinion, taxes are going to be higher in the future than what they are today. And if you're in the 12% tax bracket, I can't really see putting money into a pre-tax account unless, of course, you're doing it just to get the match. If you have a Roth account, as the law stands right now, that is the one of the best uh, accounts that you could have for tax purposes because it, you don't get the tax break now, but you get the money out at some point in the future tax-free. Now, both those types of accounts are considered to be qualified accounts because a qualified account is an account that qualifies for special tax treatment because the government said so. So the government made these laws to create the IRAs and Roth IRAs, and they control the tax treatment of those. Um, I believe it's just a matter of time before they start running out of places to get money from, and they're going to have to mess with 
those rules. So it's a good thing to start balancing out and have some non-qualified money. So if you have these three types of accounts, I'll tell you the best investments, in my opinion, to own in each one. You want to own the low growth, the lowest growth, highest income paying stocks in your traditional IRA account because you have to remember that if you grow the money in an IRA account, you're not only growing it for you, but you're growing it for the government because it's going to be taxed later, remember? Um, you want to own the most aggressive parts of your portfolio in your Roth account because you don't have to pay taxes on those gains as long as the rules stay the same. And then in the uh, taxable account, you want or the non-qualified account, the things that I think that are best to own there. So you would be subject if you do sell some things, you'll be subject to some capital gain taxes potentially. Um, you also would have to pay taxes on any dividends or interest that you receive in that account. So the best things to own, in my opinion, things to start with there are going to be the ETF. ETFs because they qualify for special tax or for better tax treatment than just an individual stock, meaning that especially in the enhanced strategy, they can go back and forth from the cash to the equity investments without passing that along to the shareholder. You also would want to own some of your foundational companies. That means that you are less likely to have to sell those and incur any kind of capital gains tax there in the future. So I see that we are building up a pretty good uh, call bank there. We've got some calls to get to when we come back, but we have Craig Halgert coming up with the Ag Report. He's going to tell you what's going on in the commodities market and uh, all of that information that our farmers and ranchers find so useful. So we're grateful for Craig and what he does. So hang with us. We're going to go to Craig and then to a break, and we'll be back, and we'll get right to some calls. I'm Shanna Burt with Financial Issues. This is Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Egg Update for August 8th. Weather forecasts were very uncertain as we headed into the weekend. And as a result, corn prices were higher on Friday. With the 6-10 to 10 day outlook for the Western Corn Belt looking hot and dry, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how traders respond this week. At the close Friday, December futures were 3 and 3 quarter cents higher at $6.10 per bushel. Soybean prices, at least in the near term, will be driven by weather forecasts and the dubiously named Inflation Reduction Act. That was certainly the case on Friday as soybean futures cycled between higher and lower on shifting weather forecasts. We did see some export business Friday with the announcement of the sale of 132,000 metric tons of soybeans to China, with another 132,000 going to an unknown destination presumably China as well. At the close, this November soybean futures were nine cents lower at $14.08 and three quarter cents per bushel. Wheat continued to chop around in a relatively narrow range. A yield projection by private analysts in Forma on Friday 
placed the national average spring wheat yield at 48.3 bushels per acre. In overseas news, Ukraine's deputy ag minister says Ukraine could start exporting wheat from this year's harvest from its seaports in September because of the success of the grain agreement with Russia. That news pressured wheat prices on Friday. At the close, Minneapolis September futures were seven and three quarter cents lower at eight eighty six and a half. Kansas City dropped by twelve cents to close at eight forty eight and a quarter, and Kansas and Chicago futures were six and three quarter cents lower at seven seventy five and three quarters. Wheat futures looked really good heading into the weekend. At the close, we had December futures one hundred and fifty one points stronger settling at 96.13. Livestock futures were also higher. October live cattle rose by 22.5 cents, settling at $143.87 per hundredweight. September feeder cattle were 85 cents stronger, settling at $183.42.5 per hundred. October lean hog futures also had a pretty solid session. They were up 80 cents for the day at $98.40 per hundred. Class 3 milk futures on a four-day losing streak. At the close Friday, September futures were down another 18 points, settling at 1930. Meat cutout values were mixed. Choice box beef ended the day a dollar and 66 cents lower at 264.62. Select boxes dropped by a dollar 68 to settle at 238.67. And pork carcass cutout values were slightly higher. They're up 23 cents for the session at $125.03 per hundredweight. This has been Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Ag Update. We'll be right back with more financial issues after this. When you make more of your home with Valspar, you want to keep doing more. Like maybe you want to make your powder room more colorful or make your basement more waterproof, or make your exterior more Mother Nature-proof, or make your driveway more protected, or make your deck look more barbecue-worthy, or make your curb appeal more curb appealing. Whatever project is next on your list, Valspar makes all the products and tools to help you make more of it. Valspar, made for more, available at Lowe's. A new Planet Fitness location is now open. Join now for just $1 down, $10 a month, no commitment. Get tons of equipment in our clean and spacious clubs. Now open in Brookhaven. Don't miss our grand opening offer. Now through August 31st. See club for details. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. Our phones are not open today. This is a best of financial issues. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Shanna Burt. Let's take a look at where the markets are moving this morning. The markets have just opened and they are in negative territory, but not 
by much. The Dow is down a tenth of a percent. The NASDAQ is down almost 1%. The S&P is down a third of a percent. We've got oil at 91.54. And in the bond market, looking at the two and the 10-year numbers, the two-year treasury is at 3.25%. And the 10-year is at 2.78. So we are still seeing a little bit of an inverted yield curve, which has successfully predicted nine out of the last five recessions. If you have to stop and think about that for a minute, it tells you that it's not a very good predictor of recessions. But technically, we are in a recession with two negative quarters of GDP. And we've got all kind of issues going on. So we're here to help you navigate through those issues. You know, we, we are going to be having a partner conference call coming up next week, um, where I'll give you a little bit of insight as to, you know, what kind of strategies we're employing in the portfolio and what we see coming and how we plan to navigate that. So let's get back to calls. We've got Lisa and Lisa's calling from Texas. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Uh, I've got a silly question. Um, what do you think it could shorting the NASDAQ or the S&P be biblically responsible? Um, the short answer is no. <laughs> so, so many times I'm troubled when people say, well, you know, I don't invest because it's just gambling. And, you know, I, this, the scripture tells us to be good stewards with our money. And I don't believe that gambling is good stewardship. It can lead into all kind of addictions and all kind of money problems and, and all of those kind of things. So, um, what I believe is that investing, whenever you buy shares of a stock, you're taking what's called at uh, an ownership position in those companies. And so you're not gambling that the price is going to go up or the price is going to go down. You're taking an ownership company. You're investing in, an, in, a, in a company, in a business that you believe in. So... If you short the market, it means that you basically sell something that you don't own because you believe that it's going to go down and you're going to buy it to replace it later and you'll get the difference in the meantime. So selling short is really a gambling strategy. It's, it's making a bet on what you think is going to happen in the short term. And so there can be unlimited losses. So let's just say that you sell, um, you're selling something short and you're selling it for $10 a share. Well, you get that $10, you're betting that that company or market or whatever you're shorting is going to go down to say seven and you're going to buy it at seven and you're going to make the profit between the seven and the 10. Well, if you're wrong, there's an unlimited upside potential. So at some point, some predetermined point, your, your, op your option is going to expire. You're going to be forced to make good on that. So if you expected it to go down to seven, you sold it at 10, 
and it goes up to 100 now you're out $90 a share. So it's a very speculative strategy, and I don't believe it's based on any kind of fundamentals or taking any ownership. It, it In my opinion, it is just gambling. Okay, I understand, and I thank you for that. I uh, respect your opinion, and I'm sure a lot of your audience does as well. Uh, right. Well, I don't think uh, so uh, what about options in general, just options? So options are, I mean, that is an option. So, you know, whenever you, you buy options, you're either buying a put or a call. So it works both ways, you know, based on what you think the market is going to do. It is a hedging strategy. So, you know, if it's a covered call, then, um, you know, that brings a little bit of safety into it. But the financial issue strategy, just to be clear, does not advocate the purchasing of any options. Oh, that's that's good. That's, pro that's probably what I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm a member. Uh, I love the show. And uh, I would like to do more to help promote the show. I mean, you can pray. I pray for the show. Um, I donate. I do pre-born stuff but if you have any ideas for the audience that can help promote you um, I would like to be a part of that yeah that's great thank you so much for for that Lisa I mean there's so many different ways that you can do it you can uh, share the program if you do social media uh, truth social Facebook YouTube you can share that with your friends you know we we do lives on I know for sure at least Facebook and so if we're if we're doing a live program or uh, better yet you know I mean if if I ever do get on social media uh, and I click on something that's more than a couple of minutes um, uh, you've lost me so correct uh, our producers are very very good about taking clips out of the news out of financial issues and putting them up there that are you know, really short like that, one to three minutes. So you could share that on on your personal page. You could, you know, send it to them in Messenger. You can also, um, you know, post about our phone app because there's a lot of great information on there as well. So I appreciate your heart and wanting to share the ministry. Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh, we love you, uh, but we do miss Dan's rant. Yes, I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> but we love you. We love you. God bless you and the, uh, the whole ministry. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for calling. And uh -huh. thanks for all your support. All right, Sam, what do we have on social? Yeah, Shanna, we have Deborah on Facebook saying, when this administration finally stops denying that we're in a recession, who or what will Joe place the blame on this time? Maybe monkeypox? What do you think? <laughs> That's comical. I like that. Um, you know, I could probably get in a rant about that. But uh, my question is, what makes us think that he's ever going to stop denying that we're in a recession? You know, they're just, they're, they're wizards at this smoke and mirror stuff where they're, you know, the, like this whole inflation reduction act that doesn't even reduce inflation. It just covers for their agenda. So, you know, I don't know if they're ever going to come out of denial until they're really, really forced to come out of denial. And then, of course, they'll have somebody to blame it on. You know, I think if it 
if it wasn't so ridiculous, I would almost say that this monkeypox thing, and, you know, I said it right whenever it first came out months ago, is that, you know, are they already brewing up something for this midterm election? Um, but apparently they don't need to. I, I heard uh, some statistics that there's been like 40 million uh, ballots already mailed out, <laughs> um, a lot of them unsolicited. So, yeah, we're going to have some of the same issues in this election that we've had in previous elections. But, you know, God willing, uh, this country will snap to their common sense. You know, unfortunately, common sense isn't so common anymore. You know, I love that that quote in the intro from Ronald Reagan that says that we'll simply apply to the government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Common sense isn't so common anymore, but, you know, hopefully we will, um, Lord willing, he will pour out his wisdom on us. He will open our spiritual eyes so that we can see what's happening around us. You know, we've We've just become so complacent that we just stick our heads in the sand and, you know, think that we can't do anything about it. But we still do have the right to vote in this country, and we have to be a good steward of that. So, you know, we need to get engaged, we need to get involved, and we need to vote our values. Yeah, that's that's good stuff, Shanna. We got Doug on Facebook commenting on oil reserves saying remember these oil reserves are for the purposes of our military if there is a conflict involving our military we are in real trouble i agree 100 percent with you doug you know um we've seen the oil reserves shrink to the lowest levels in a very very long time you know china we've actually sold biden the biden administration has actually sold some of our release of this strategic oil uh, reserve that is supposed to get our gas prices down, create more supply in our country. He's actually sold, uh, they say, up to 5 million barrels to foreign entities and 2 million to China. Now, China's oil reserve is double what ours is. They're stocking up. You know, they've been on lockdown, decreasing their demand for oil. I uh, can't say that that I don't think that that goes hand in hand with whatever their agenda is for stocking up that oil. I mean, what could they be using it for? They're not our friend. You know, the, there's a lot of end time prophecy that, uh, you know, there's going to be a dividing line. It's going to be Israel plus whoever against the world. And I hope that whoever is still the United States. But, you know, we're, we're, we're in the end times. We've been in the end times since Jesus left to go back to heaven. Um, and, you know, we just have to stay on guard, just like he said. He's coming back. We need to be on guard. We need to do business as usual, putting kingdom business ahead of everything else. And we need to be vigilant. We need to keep, we need to know the true God you know, when experts study counterfeit, you know, try to prevent counterfeit bills from floating around, they don't study all of the fakes that were created. They study intently the real thing so that they can easily spot anything that deviates from the real thing. 
And that's what we have to do as Christians. We have to know the word of God because the enemy doesn't come as a red horned devil. He comes as an angel of light and he knows the scripture and he will use the scripture, but he will twist it. So we have to know the real thing in order to not be deceived. So I just encourage you in that one way that you can do that is to join our Bible study. Uh, Seth does a wonderful Bible study every Friday morning. It's at 530 a.m. Central Time, 630 Eastern Time. You can find that information on our website. Go to our resources tab and join the Bible study. You can just dial in. It's a very non-threatening way to get exposed to the Word of God. Nobody's going to see you. Nobody's going to ask you to talk. You just get to listen. And he's going to be going over Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 this Friday morning. So if you want to get a jump on that, if you want to go read that, pray about it, ask the Lord to speak to you about it, you'll hear his thoughts this Friday. Well, we're going to be back right after this next break. We'll get to some calls and finish up with some of your comments and questions. I'm right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash a second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag Program, happening in your neighborhood today. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500. With available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX. With the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards. At Kroger, we work with local farms right in our own backyard to bring you food that's fresher than fresh. From homegrown watermelon that makes your mouth water to crisp corn picked right around the corner. Come pick out some yourself, because shopping for local produce should be as easy as shopping at your local Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You can save an extra $10 when you spend 40 or more on a great selection of participating items. Just look for the signs and save at Kroger. You're listening to the best of financial issues expressed on this show do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Well, welcome back to financial issues. I am Shanna Burt and let's get back to those uh, comments on social. What do we have there, Sam? Yeah, we got Molly on Facebook saying our government needs to quit shoving a social agenda down our throats and start protecting our country. I couldn't agree more, Molly. The problem is that, you know, we've had these politicians, the majority of these politicians in office 
for even longer than I've been alive. <laughs> you know, Joe Biden was a career politician and, you know, he's never done any work in the private sector. He's just all about, you know, staying in politics and and saying whatever he has to say, doing whatever he has to do to to keep his position. And he's made a lot of money doing it, even though we don't pay our politicians that much money to accumulate the kind of wealth that they've accumulated. And you're right. They do need to quit shoving the social agenda. The purpose of our government is to protect and defend our freedoms, the country against foreign invaders. You know, we, we all need to pitch in to have some infrastructure in this country, but so many of the things that the government has gotten involved in, they have absolutely no business in. The government has gotten so big and, you know, I don't even know where and how we begin to get them out of every area and facet of our lives. You know, it's been their agenda to get so many people um, hooked on government support. You know, all of these social programs that we have, I'm not saying that we shouldn't help people, but really and truly, that is the job of the church. We are to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are to show the love. We are to take care of the orphans and the widows and those who can't work. The government has just done it in the wrong way. They've created whole generations that have been dependent on the government and have used the government to to fund their entire existence. So, you know, the government, I'm, I'm in favor of a minimalist government. We need to get the government back to doing what the government is supposed to do. But, you know, that is so confused in the minds of so many these days about what is actually the government's responsibility for us to do. But good comment there. Yeah. Uh, we also have Tom and Roxanne on Facebook saying, Dan had such timeless wisdom. Shanna and the crew are doing a great job carrying on the ministry. Thank you, Tom and Roxanne. Yeah. Thanks for that encouragement. I couldn't agree more. You know, I so appreciated Dan's gifts, his willingness to serve, his heart for ministry, his heart for the kingdom. And he's been such a, a great mentor to me and a, a, a spiritual father in so many ways. Yeah, we have a similar comment on YouTube from Blue Skies saying, missing Dan every day and so thankful for Shanna who continues his legacy. I think we can, uh, I can speak for the team and say we miss Dan every single day as well. But we are so thankful for you, Shanna, that you yeah. are continuing. Oh, thanks for that. You know, and I, I just encourage you, don't forget to to pray for Dan's family and the ministry as the Lord leads and brings it to your mind. You know, it's, um, you know, losing a spouse, losing a father, losing a great mentor is not something that is um, very easily gotten over. There's, you know, we rejoice for Dan. We know where he is. We're so happy for him. But, you know, there's hearts are still mending uh, for those of us that were that were left behind. So I can ask you to continue to pray for Yvonne and the family as they 
you know, grieve the loss of Dan. Awesome, Shanna. Yeah, we have Austin from YouTube as well saying, if nothing else, memberships are worth the spiritual fight. Y'all coordinate and lead. Oh, thanks for that, Austin. Um, you know, folks, the the partnership, you know, there's a couple of different ways that you can support the ministry financially, if you're talking about your financial dollars. You know, one is to be a partner of the ministry. As a partner, it's $85 a year, um, $124 if you want to use the portfolio tracker. With that partnership, you get access to the buy list, the asset allocation models. You get to join in the partner conference calls. You get alerts um, to sell things if they become not biblically responsible, which reminds me there is one company that we are watching. We have It has come to our attention that they are no longer biblically responsible. We've reached out to the company, um, asking them, letting them know what our stand is and why we are going to uh, divest ourselves of that position of their company if they continue with the activities that they're continuing on. If we don't hear from them by this Friday, we are going to be issuing a sell alert. So that's one of the things that we do there to help you keep your portfolio clean because our mandate is number one, to defund the darkness. We do that with uh, biblically responsible investing. We do not want to allow the money that God has trusted us with to be used by the company to support things that don't agree or that don't uh, line up with our Christian values like abortion, pornography, the LGBT agenda, human rights violations, um, and anti-family entertainment. So we don't want to be involved in that. As Christians, we're praying against those things all the time because we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 tells us that very, very plainly. So we don't want to be praying against something and then not knowing, allow the money that God's trusted us with to perpetuate that cause. That's one of the ways that the enemy can be so sneaky and just come in and steal, kill, and destroy. Because remember, that's his agenda. But God's agenda is for life and to give us life abundantly. So the second part of that mandate is to help you help us to fund the light. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. That battle extends to our dollars. It costs money. You know, money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money. It's the intent of the heart that is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil. So, you know, we want to, because money is so important, it, we need it to put uh, food in our bellies, gas in our cars, a roof over our heads, uh, and so many other things. And so do ministries. Ministries need it to pay pastors, to keep electricity on, to give you good facilities, to um, to offer assistance to the community in food pantries and all the the great programs of work that they do. And you know who else needs it? The enemy. He needs it to fund abortion clinics, to sponsor gay pride parades, to uh, bribe politicians to vote in a way that's going to perpetuate 
their agenda to redefine marriage, to redefine gender. Um, remember, the enemy's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's so creative in the ways that, that he does that. But he's not as creative as the creator of everything, which is the God that we serve. So we help give you stewardship opportunities. You know, we ask you to support this ministry um, as a partner. You know, you may be interested in, in managing your own portfolio, and that may be why you do that. But you can also be a soldier um, where you give monthly support to this ministry to make sure that all of the great programs of work continue. Not only this program, you know, um, we've we're we're facing um, either continuing to be on some some outlets that we've been on before, but there are some that are still on the fence about continuing with this show. So we we ask you if you're used to watching us, if you found us another way, if you were used to watching us on the radio or a media outlet, contact them. Let them know that you like the show, that you want to keep it going or that you want it back on because it's um, it's edifying to you and helps you in your stewardship. Um, we also give you opportunities with our partners, the ones that we vetted out, Preborn, India Partners, uh, Samaritans, you know, all of those partners, we give you uh, an outlet for your stewardship dollars. Now, we do encourage you to support your local church. We believe that that is, that is biblical, that is uh, foundational to your giving, but you know, the Lord asks for tithes and offerings. So the offerings are over and above what you would give to your normal church. And, you know, God owns everything. It says so in Psalm 24, 1, it says that the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so scripture also tells us that God is the author and has all wisdom he knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. He knows how many hairs that we have on our head. So if he's concerned about how many hairs on our head, don't you think he has something to say about the dollars in your bank account? Um, and we can't get confused there either, because even though the statement has our name on it, our investment statement has our name on it, uh, maybe the deed to our home or our cars have our names on them. It is really not ours. It is the Lord's. So since it belongs to him and because he has all wisdom, it makes good sense for us to ask him what he wants us to do with the dollars that he's trusted us with. And he promises in his word that those of us who are found faithful with a little don't get more just to squander and do whatever they want with, but they get more so that they can have more responsibility and create more perpetuation of the kingdom in the earth. Because that's what Jesus asked us to do when he left. He said he was coming back. He gave us a responsibility. He gave us lots of stewardship responsibilities. Only one of those is about money. We have stewardship over our time. So, you know, 
when we when we are squandering our time, when we get sucked into that black hole of Facebook or social media, you know, we have to kind of come to ourselves and say, wait a minute, have I prayed for everything that the Lord asked me to pray for today? Do I have neighbors that are hurting? Do I have a need in my life that I need to seek the Lord for rather than worldly wisdom? So we've got to steward everything, our time, our testimony, our dollars, our talent. You know, where what are we doing with that talent? Are we using it for God's glory? Are we using it for our own good? Or are we just hiding it under, under a barrel? So I just encourage you today, be a good steward of all that the Lord has given you. I'm Shanna Burt with Financial Issues. We're going to be back live tomorrow and for the rest of this week. We hope that you'll join us and call in with your question or send it to us on social media. So until tomorrow, we hope you have a a wonderful day and join us back here again. Same time, same place. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FI. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called, and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you're crazy about Crocs, get ready to celebrate nonstop during Crocs Week at Academy Sports and Outdoors. From September 12th through September 17th, we'll be all crocked out in stores and online with exclusive promos, prizes, giveaways, and more. So don't wait. Swing by your local Academy store today or visit academy.com to learn how you can participate. And while you're here, shop the great selection of Crocs styles. Text Crocs to 22369 for all event updates. That's Crocs to 22369. On the front lines of Houston sports. Let's go! You're in the trenches with Andy Kalou.
Welcome in. Happy Football Friday to everybody out there in Radio Land. I'm Indy Kalu. He is Chris Gordy. Michael Connor stepping away from the bump from the mound to talk a little football this Friday. And I'm sure we'll talk a little baseballs. The Houston Astros have won five straight, so we better not ignore them. Noah on the other side of the glass. And you... You are you, and you're always welcome to get in the trenches, especially on this football Friday. I don't care what you want to talk about. Let's just have some fun, sit at the bar, kick back with a few imaginary drinks, and talk a little sports until 12 noon. 713. Yeah, what, what, you got a smart water? <laughs> what, what the hell is a smart water, Chris? Like, smart. It, what, what does that mean? Is that just great marketing or... Do you feel smarter after you drink? Uh, these are flavored, so that's the only reason I like them, because it's got a little tinge of mango in it. So, Smart water. He's, he's one of these people that can't handle regular water. I don't understand how people can't handle regular water. Well, when you say regular, I can't. You, you, could like, you drink out of the sink? Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting. I mean, I can, but I don't. I don't. So okay. what's regular water? Like, just over yeah, the we, we have a, Like, our fridge is screwed up, so we just have a Brita filter right now. Okay, I could do that. Yeah. But tap, I can't go straight from the Tap water's good for you. It fights all the nasty things in yeah, your body. Yeah, some people in Michigan about that. <laughs> yeah. And Mississippi. And Mississippi yeah, right now. Yeah. And Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi, not very good. Yeah, so no. I, I, I'll do I'll do the cheapest kind of bottled water because in my mind, I'm just assuming it's filtered. You know how dumb I am? For about a year, I actually thought the water came from streams. Well, in areas like Kentucky, uh, you know, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe they do. But. Like you go to Colorado. When we go to Colorado, there's like that city. It's it's from the mountains. It comes from streams where they their water is. You can drink it straight out of the sink. It's fine. They just filter. They they yeah, just filter. They filter, and, and they filter they do the it. they filter that water. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, and they, they, I drink about four gallons of water a day. So four, no, you don't. Probably two at least. You've lost a lot of weight. So is that is that is that your secret? No, I've always been nothing but water. That's my dad and me from growing up playing sports. He mm-hmm. would, you gotta hydrate, you gotta hydrate, you gotta hydrate. So I grew up drinking nothing but water. That, that's Thick. some great words of advice. Water, 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 and hydrate. And if you want to jump in, 713-212-5790. Before we get into the game last night, and I was doing my picks, because we'll do our picks the last couple of segments of the show, I want to do this early. I want to ask y'all this question early before it becomes irrelevant. But when I was looking at the picks, when I was looking and I stopped at the the Patriots taking on the Steelers. And I started thinking about the New England Patriots. And I've been, I praise Bill Belichick for what he's accomplished over the last 25 years. I still think he's the best coach that I've ever seen. And I've played for some great coaches like Andy Reid. But this whole Tom Brady effect on his career, the 71 games Bill Belichick has coached without Tom Brady since Tom Brady became one of his uh, players, so I'm not going back to his Cleveland days. He's below 500. And I always think of Bill Belichick as one of the best to ever do it. You always need great players, but I'm starting to think, is he just a very good coach who happened to have the best quarterback in the history of football? Yes. And that's why we think of him the legendary status that we do. I think so. I think you're looking at him outsmarting himself this year with the offensive coordinator situation. What the hell is he doing? What are you doing? And I gave him the benefit of the Patricia doubt. And, yeah. and Joe Judge, and he's calling plays too? How? Maybe the, the season will, will go and prove that you know he is that smart and he knows what he's doing. But during the offseason, it, it was so ridiculous. So you got a former defensive coordinator who failed in Detroit – 
and now he's going to call plays on offense. And I just dismiss it as, you know what, Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. So the season will tell. It's only been one game, and they lost to Miami. I expected them to beat Miami. But for his legacy, no matter what happens this year, he's a first ballot Hall of Fame. I mean, he just is, whether we like it or not, and he should be. He's, what, he top two or three in wins all time? Something like that. But his legacy, if – if his team does not make the playoffs again this year, I'm looking at him a little bit different. That, that, that's all I'm saying. I'm uh, I'm just coming across uh, some breaking uh, Texans news coming out real quick. Good God, really? Are uh, you going to shift the topic I'm that just, fast? I, I, I hope so. Aaron Wilson <laughs> is, is texting me. He's okay, like, hey, okay. make sure you get this up. Uh, so Scott Quisenberry is going to start for Justin Britt. Justin Britt has been absent all week for personal reasons. And somebody else has put out a report that they think Justin Britt may just actually retire, which is crazy. Like, considering we just season just started. Like, if you were mulling this, this should have happened a couple of days ago. But uh, it's now Scott Quisenberry is now the uh, Texans starter at center. He's there taking all the reps today of practice. He's going to start on Sunday against Denver. And he may very well be the starting center the rest of the year, depending on what's going on with Justin Britt. Again, they keep just saying personal reasons, personal reasons. Uh, it's But it says personal reasons related to football, and he's, quote, contemplating his options. That's just like, that doesn't happen in, in the NFL. And the center just doesn't just, ah, second week of the season. You know what? I think I'm done. Even though the the training camp isn't as tough as it was maybe 10, 15 years ago, once you get through training camp and the season starts, you're like, oh, I made it. Like that That's the thought. You have this sigh of relief, like you made it through the tough part. For him to be going through whatever he's going through, and this is the first time I've heard of this, um, I'll find out more this weekend as we have an event with the Texans. I'll start whispering, but I'm not going to mention it on air. But my point is, for him to do this now, I, I believe is going to end up being something that's more personal than team related. He's making over four and a half million. This yeah, year. yeah. You don't just walk away from that after you've gone through the vigors of training camp. They brought up there was issues in the game last week. It says uh, this is from Aaron Wilson. It says uh, Justin Bird, thirty-one years old, was accountable for his role in some communication issues against the Colts on Sunday, including a false start committed by him and a false start committed by Titus Howard after Britt's late snap. Uh, he said, if there's a communication error, it starts with me being the voice of the O-line, the guy who sets it all. I false started for something that shouldn't have happened. I was late on a snap, and that caused Titus to false start. And again, those things shouldn't happen. So, I mean, this is football. Maybe. <laughs> like, this is football. That, but that, that's not a reason to retire. Going on off the, oh, yeah, yeah. Off the field that he's just distracting. He can't give this his full 100% focus. And what's the the ding to the Texans' offensive line from this? Honestly, Indy, you would know better than us because you played football. You could see it. Like, is Justin Britt the difference like between him and Questenberry going to be significant enough to where it's like, oh, this hurts the offensive line terribly? When last week, I mean, they, they had their moments where they looked okay, right? It, it'll hurt them. Just anytime you lose a guy with that much experience, especially at the center position, they say the center's the quarterback of the offensive line because he's calling out the linebacker. He's kind of setting the blocking schemes as well as the quarterback. But but it's, it's also not a position or he's not that type of center like the Pouncey brothers where you say, you know what? I had the Texans beating the Denver Broncos this weekend, but now that Britt's not playing, I think I'm going to go with the Broncos. Does it hurt? Yes. I mean, that's why he's a starter. But at the same time, when we get um, 
uh, Brandon Langon, who's going to talk about the games and, uh, you know, he's, I don't know if you call him a gambler. What do you, what's his official Handicap- title? Handicapper. Handicapper. Thank you. Handicapper. I'd be surprised if this changes the line at all. Yeah. I, I, in, and I went back and rewatched Sunday's game a little bit more just to, and, you know, why would you put yourself through that torture? I just wanted to see a few things. The offensive line did pretty well where they didn't do well was not a, like when the when the Colts brought a blitz and they brought an extra guy and they had nobody assigned to him. That was the problem. You know, when they're rushing six or seven and you only got five protecting in the running back, you know, you're you're getting outnumbered there. So that was that was just what I know, especially in the second half. A couple of those sacks or hurries that Davis Mills had in the second half, it was because the guy's coming through the A gap and nobody's picking him up. Or, yeah, or that's coming, the, if he's or, coming through the A gap untouched, that's the running back. But also the quarterback has to understand if they bring more than you have blocking, then somebody's wide ass open. You need to hurry up and get rid of the ball. Right. So those were, I mean, again, criticized wherever. But like, though, I thought like just man to man, I thought the offensive line did pretty well. So you know, and the good thing is Questenberry played a good bit in the preseason throughout training camp and looked decent. I didn't see any. You know, glaring, oh my God, Quisenberry messed that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that now it's all on him and Davis Mills. I mean, they should be, that's one of those things, like after practice today, they should be spending more, you know, spending an extra 30 minutes out there just practicing the cadence, practicing those snaps, making sure everything's clean. Because, uh, man, you, you just don't want to change your center out this quick. I mean, Tom Brady, uh, you know, had had to deal with that very quickly with, with the injuries to their offensive line and work new guys in. So, um yeah, again, it's it's not it's not like the biggest breaking news for the Texans, but it's a pretty big deal if Justin Britt's going to be out indefinitely. And uh, it was a big qu- to me is a bigger question mark than it is a big deal as far as why would a guy like Michael said making four and a half million? Think about it. This is a center. We're yeah. not talking about. You know, Jerry Hughes has made a lot of money in the league. Four million to him, it's a lot of money, but it's kind of like, yeah, I'm used to it. This is a center making four and a half million dollars. He, he may be in his early thirties or late one. Yeah. So th- these are the tail ends of his earning potential when it comes to football for him to uh, contemplate walking away. Or just I don't I don't know what the report I don't know that's, if they're still that's not Aaron reporting that was somebody else let me let me read again what Aaron is reporting Texans veteran center Justin Britt has officially been ruled out for Sunday's road game against the Broncos as he remains absent from the team while working through personal issues related to football and contemplates his options with Britt absent for, uh, the past three days of practice Scott Quisenberry will be the starter Lovey Smith this morning said he's not practicing he's not playing this week. He did not expand on what Britt's personal reasons are for his absence. Okay, so you should get some comfort. Questenberry practice. He went through the hard practices this week as the starting center. So it's not like they just found out this news. And now on Friday, Quisenberry is going to have to snap to Davis Mills to get that chemistry. So there's some comfort in that. And you, you know, prayerfully, it's not anything too serious that Justin Britt's going through. But it's going to take a lot to get someone to walk away from from what the position that he's at. I like how you also dropped in hard practice of the week, like they practice hard anymore. <laughs> the, the extended practices, the Wednesdays and Thursday practices. All right, quick timeout. If you want to jump in, 713-212-5790. Aaron Wilson, if, you, if you're going to produce the show, you need to give me bigger breaking news if I'm going to get off track. Give us a call, 713-212-5790. In the trenches, only on Sports Talk 790. 
Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards. It's bold. It's sweet. It's sexy. Introducing new Stella Rosa Brandy in three fruit-forward flavors, smooth black, honey peach, and tropical passion. Ask your retailer for Stella Rosa Premium Imported Brandy. Please celebrate responsibly. Welcome back in the trenches on this football Friday as we get ready for all levels of football. For all you high school folks, we have some Friday night lights taking place tonight, even college football. A couple of good games that I'm looking forward to after the high school games tonight. And then we have the Thursday night football from the NFL for us to recap and then get ready for a full weekend of college and NFL football in two Monday night football games as we have a Monday night doubleheader this upcoming Monday. So next few days going to be very football heavy. And like we mentioned, Thursday night football, Kansas City Chiefs beat the L.A. Chargers 27-24. It didn't happen the way I expected it to happen, but I expected a very good game. And I don't know if you got two guys had a chance to watch it, but oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about two of the young quarterbacks who are going to be the face of the NFL, not just their franchise for years to come. And what I like about this, we tend to forget about the defensive studs on both sides. You know, when you talk about Chris Jones for the Kansas City Chiefs, then when you look at the Chargers, we're so used to hearing about uh, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert. When you look at Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, I mean, you got some defensive studs that were on the field as well, and we were treated to a great game. The um, the, the big storyline coming out of this one is Justin Herbert and how, how hurt is he uh, going through MRI and the ribs and all that kind of stuff. But I, I pose this question. I wanted to pose it to you. Because I, I, I couldn't help but think this way. This is week two, guys. Justin Herbert is clearly hurt, takes a massive hit, mm-hmm. and they're getting Chase Daniel ready in a game where they were trailing. And here comes Herbert back in. And there was that play where he tucked in and could have ran it and then just, I think, threw it away, but like could barely even move to throw it away. I'm going, at what point is this, like, and I'll just say it this way, Herbert's staying in. Gritty move or careless move? Because it's week two, Justin Herbert. We need you for the entire bulk of the season. You stay in and, and aggravate that injury, and it gets even worse or something. Like to me, like I get it, right? Football mentalities. Ah, oh, tough it up. Let's go. This is for your team. But also, look, if we don't win this one, it's going to be okay. If we got to put Jace Daniel, is it going to be okay for them? Look at the division they're in. Honestly, if they lose him, they've got no shot, right? But no were, they, were they down 10 at that point? Because that's I what I was so, looking yeah. at. I'm like, you're already down double I'm digits saying, late they, in the fourth if quarter. If they lose him for an extended period of the season, right, with Russell Wilson and Derek Carr and Patrick Mahomes also in that division, like, you lose him for any portion of the season, like, their season's right out the window, right? 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, the smarter move to me would have been take Herbert out. He's clearly not himself. He's hurt. 99% of the NFL players would have done what he did. He was hurt. He wasn't. There's a difference. When we were young and we would complain to the coach, oh, you know, I'm hurting here, I'm hurting there. They grab you by the face mask and they say, are you hurt or are you injured? And if you're hurt, you just have to go through it. Now, the test will reveal if he has any cracked ribs. I saw the hit. It it was a big hit, but that Sean Salisbury, who has a show on before us, and y'all should listen to it every single uh, weekday, I'm sure he's had 30 of those hits. Like, those are the hits that, yeah, it hurts. You're going to feel it in the morning, but you get up from it. I, I, I didn't even think about what you were thinking when I was watching the game live. Like, oh, why is he getting back in there? Because... Most quarterbacks, 99% of them, w- would have made that same decision. Yeah, I'm not saying he wouldn't. A- or the team. I'm and the saying team. protect him from himself. Go, no, Justin, like. Why? Because well, you got a boo-boo? Well, again, like how serious is it? The guy was clear. Like, he clearly, on that one play, he was in so much pain. Dude, like when he, because even Al Michaels point, I was like, yeah, if he just, he had some room to run there. If he just tucks it and runs and slides, he's fine. But instead, but didn't he have a great touch touch pass for a touchdown after that? I remember, no. Next possession, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, that's football. Like, and because these idiot refs, and it's not their fault, it's, <laughs> it's the culture that the NFL's creating with this whole protect the quarterback. I don't know if you noticed on that play, the defender, he pulled up. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you see it, before they hit the ground, he kind of puts his hands out to the side like, hey, I'm not driving him into the dirt. So, no, that that it was a hard hit. You credit him for going out there, but we would be questioning him the same way we're questioning the tight end, uh, Ger- Gerald Everett. Almost said Gerald Levert. Shout out to the R and B folks who understand what <laughs> that reference. But Gerald Everett, I don't know if y'all saw this. Gerald Everett, the tight end, he had two complete, uh, two catches, two receptions. He was dog tired, so he did the universal tap your helmet, mm-hmm. hey, come get me. And they left him in there, <laughs> and he gave up on the route where where uh, Jalen Watson took the pick 99 yards to the touchdown. Like, that was a bad look. I feel like it would have been a bad look if uh, Justin Herbert, if he would have pulled himself, or even if the coach would have pulled That's him out of the I'm game. Saying, he would have never taken himself out of the game. He was clearly playing through. Right. I'm just saying, with it being week two, he's the face of your franchise, and he's clearly hurt, and you're down double digits. Uh, my thought was, and Chase Daniel's warming up, and this guy's been around a while. You pay Chase Daniel big money to, to play well. Like, I, I just wondered, like, is the smart move there? Look, we got all season ahead of us. Take him out. What if? What if he? You know, what if it's just a bruised rib right now, and he breaks because he play, tries to play through it? I don't know if it works like that. Oh, whatever. Yeah. What I know is, uh, he- no, I wasn't trying. I'm just saying. I get what you're saying, but I don't know if. If if it's like playing, no, I just if it's a bruised rib, it's just going to be bruised regardless. Yeah, or if it's a, a slight fracture and the fracture is even more, right. and breaks off. What it felt like to me is, and maybe I'm, you guys tell me if I'm wrong. And now look, it it does it it matters if he's going to be around or not. But like, it's another Chargers loss, and we hear hype about the Chargers every year, right? And Herbert's fantastic. He's going to be great. They made a lot of additions to their team again last year. I know it's a road game and everything. You're playing Patrick Mahomes, but. It always feels like when we're talking about them, they're just short every single time of everything. And it's just like, well, you add this to the mix now, they're going to be just short again this year. That's why. And this this could completely ruin that season. I'm going to give you something to keep an eye on. All this talk about Sean Payton and Dallas, Sean Payton and Dallas, no. Sean Payton and the Chargers. But don't they love 
Don't they love their coach? They here? do, but I'm just saying, like, you want to make a big move. Like, let's say they go 500 again, and you know, you know, either just miss the playoffs, or you know, they get a wild card and lose again. There, there will be no love loss moving on from Staley if that happens. If you can go get Sean Payton, I just feel like Sean Payton is a lock to be a, the Cowboys coach. There's just no other way, right? I'm, I'm just it's saying, been if they have a disaster year, which it looks like, as I'm watching the television and seeing Dak Prescott on the sideline, uh, just watching practice because of his thumb injury. If they have a disaster year this year, I can see a scenario where uh, Jerry Jones makes it happen and Sean Payton isn't. Isn't the Chargers a better situation though? Yeah, because what does it say? I mean, the Cow- the- everybody talks about the Cowboys, Cowboys, Cowboys. Like, didn't the Cowboys, wasn't the writing on the wall for them this season? They didn't do anything. They got rid of offensive linemen. They lost offensive linemen, injury, whatever. They lose players. They, they get rid of one of their pieces, uh, weapons for Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. They still run back Zeke Elliott, who should not begin the ball as much as he is. Tony Pollard's good, but, I mean, he's still not great behind an offensive line. And defensively, they didn't do much. Like, why is everybody surprised they don't look that good? That's, you know what? We'll think about it on this timeout because that is a good question. They didn't make, and we do have a caller that always calls in. Um, it might, it's not Perry, but it always calls in Jay Money. He's a huge Cowboy fan. Mm-hmm. And since the preseason, he's been saying they haven't done anything. They haven't done anything. So you're right about that. Quick timeout. On the other side, we're going to catch up with Brandon Lang. Very entertaining, and he'll put some scratch in your pocket. So, Steve, Jeff, if you're there, stay on hold or give us a call back, and you'll go to the top in the trenches only on Sports Talk 790. It had to be my day. So Gerald Everett tapped out of the game yesterday for the L.A. Chargers, but that's Gerald Levert when you want to tap in to a sweet honey. That's good. Speaking of tapping into a sweet honey, (laughs) I think our main man Brandon Lang has been tapping into quite a few sweet honeys over his time, and we get him here once a week in the trenches, the best handicapper in the biz. If you want to check out his website, brandonlang.com, but just listen here and you'll be entertained, and I'm sure you'll have some future dollars in your pocket. Brandon, welcome back to Houston. How you doing, brother? So, when he tapped out and his horrible pattern gave up the pick six i was immediately online checking flights to la (laughs) and i was going to be somewhere in the airport where that charter landed today and i had a baseball bat and i was going to do damage (laughs) and i went from having the chargers plus four and a half leading the whole game never having to sweat the game complete control of the game about to go 24 17 in the game 10 minutes to go in the game life is good in the game celebrating the game we there we there i mean hey we're in the champagne room with seven of these babies ready to go deep and then pick six you're down seven and now you got to chase and then the field goal you're down 10 and now you need a back door and now you're ready to do serious physical damage to someone somewhere somehow then you get the fourth and one then you get the throw over the middle and then you get the back door and then that ladies and gentlemen is why they call it gambling and in a nutshell of that game last night, I don't know how I'm not addicted to antidepressants, off, <laughs> bipolar medication, gummies, weed, whatever, because to go from winning a game to losing a game to winning the game 
um, it just encompasses what I've dealt with for 30 years. And then I'm like, why don't I just go get a job at Bellagio as a valet? I'm in the greatest shape of my life, meet some honeys, running back and forth, stay in shape. I'm good to go. But then on the same side of the coin, I go, you know what? The euphoria that you feel when you get a backdoor touchdown like that, when the game was lost, you don't get that anywhere else unless you pick up a stripper to strip bar with no cash down. And that, that, that right there is the same feeling of love, man. I scored big time, but it was, that game last night was crazy. Absolutely crazy. It just goes to show you, people make Mahomes out to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'm going to tell you this. Yes, he's a, he's, a, he's a great quarterback. But if you watch the same game that I watched last night, his team should have lost by two touchdowns. He should have threw three interceptions. And the narrative about Patrick Mahomes this morning is completely different. Samuel should have had a pick six. He should have had an interception on the deflection. And there wasn't a legal contact on the first interception when they were up 10 nothing and getting the ball back. So I just can't stand people that put the cart before the horse with Mahomes like he's the greatest thing ever. I'll tell you this. He's good. But he's the luckiest little guy I've ever seen in my life. Seriously. It's unbelievable what he gets away with. I'll say this. I was surprised this morning because after watching that game, and I think Patrick Mahomes is a very good quarterback, Brandon, but I was was surprised this morning the narrative wasn't like, ooh, he got away with one. Because when I was watching that game, he didn't look like himself early, especially in that first half. No, he didn't really look good the whole game. Right. He, He struggles with teams that set back in zones, get pressure on him, and he has to wait and, and, and make decisions. When it's man-to-man and he just drops back and his guys beat their guy, boom, boom, great. But the Chargers have – the Chargers should have won that game last night. And that would have been – Herbert would have been 3-0 and at, at Kansas City against them. Their scheme gives them problems. Their scheme gives them problems, and and the, the Chargers have nobody to blame but themselves for not winning that game outright. So, be that as it may, good win for me off Seattle on Monday night. Now we get ready to do it all over again this weekend. So, well, let's, let's, let's rock and roll. Let's jump into it. We're talking about that guy, Brandon Lang. And by the way, I just downloaded the fresh episode of Believe Me with Brandon Lang and Cordell Stewart, wherever you get your podcast. and. Uh, B. Lang, I'm looking at college this weekend. I got fooled last weekend. I got fooled by Florida. I got fooled by Baylor. I got fooled by a lot of teams last weekend. Are there uh, some upsets brewing this weekend? I want to start right up the road in College Station. The Aggies look terrible against Appalachian State. They just announced this morning they're making a quarterback change. Max Johnson's going to start for them. And they are still a six-point home favorite against number 13 Miami. Tyler Van Dyke coming to town. Uh, talk me out of taking Miami, not just to, to cover the plus six, but Miami straight up. First of all, you were on the wrong side of Florida. Kentucky's now covered six straight against the Gators. And for whatever reason, Kentucky plays them tough. And Florida was coming off a huge letdown of an underdog win over Utah the week before um, as far as having Baylor, Baylor the complete right side of the game. You're getting more than a field goal. You never should have lost the game in overtime um, by six the way you did um, or seven. Stinger, absolutely, I get it. That was just a bad beat. So there's nothing you can do about that. So you're on the wrong side of one game, 
and you're on the right side of another game where you just you just got beat. Simple as that. Miami's the right side of the game. Um, Jimbo pulling the panic but a little bit, but, but I think this game goes right down to the wire, and you know you should you should maybe lean towards Miami way. The only thing I'm going to say though about this game is that as a non-conference home favorite, less than 14 points, Aggies are 12 and one against the spread. Mm. So so just take a step back. It's everybody jumps off off the bandwagon so quickly. Uh, Kane's own four against the spread on the road coming off back to back home wins. So, um, and one in five is a non conference dog at four points or more. So, um, certainly it looks like Miami's the right side, but Texas AM is one of those teams that just regroups and, and gets it done. And I don't know if I want to go against the 12 1 stats. I'm going to leave this game alone. You know, speaking of leave alone, if we're, since we jumped to college picks, I'm, I'm a little ticked off at you, Brandon. I'm a little pissed off, and let, and let me tell you why. You, you know how you have that scene where a young kid whose father is in and out, and I'm not saying you're my daddy, so let me just say that. <laughs> uh, the dad's in and out of his life. The young kid has a great football game, then he looks in the stands and his dad wasn't there. <laughs> Last week... You you get me all crunk and excited because you you prop me up and you you give me confidence with my underdog picks. Last week I had an awesome one and your punk ass didn't even show up to the game. You you didn't come into the trenches with me, Brandon. I had Washington State over Wisconsin only because I saw that quarterback Cameron Ward. He played for a small school in my hometown of San Antonio, Texas. I knew he was special. So I had it. I was so excited to get you in the trenches, and you you were going to gas me up when I told you that. And they end up pulling off the upset, and you weren't here for me last Friday. That hurts, Brandon. Bro, I, uh, that, that bro, hurts. I feel your pain. Bro, I feel your pain, <laughs> and I'll tell you why I feel your pain. I feel your pain on a level that most people can't feel your pain. And I'm about to give you a story why I feel your pain. Because in high school, my senior year against the Owasso Wildcats, I put up a triple-double, 15 points, 17 rebounds, and 11 assists. Best high school game I had in my career. Nice. Man, I flat out got off. I was Magic Johnson. Triple-double, 15 points, 17 rebounds, 11 assists. I go home. My dad sitting in his chair, sitting in his little little recliner, working on a Miller Lite number like 24. Yeah, dad was an alcoholic. No problem. It's in the book, beating the odds. But anyway, I go, dad great game. He goes, you had a game tonight? I go, didn't see the game? He goes, I thought you were playing at Owasso. I go, Dad, are you serious? You didn't just see what I just did at home against Owasso? Next day in the local newspaper, uh, Midland Daily News, it's got me posting this cat up, laying it up, and it says, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Lang leads the chemics to a 97-67 win over Wasa with 15 points, 17 rebounds, 11 assists. The triple goes right there. My dad sees it. He breaks down, but but nope, he didn't see it. So I feel your pain. You know, like Rod Tidwell told Jerry McGuire, help me to help you. Help me to help you. See, Jerry, you think we're fighting, and I think we're communicating. So my bad. My bad, and, and let's see if we can. Let's see if your dirty dog is ready to get dirty again. But we'll get that. You ready to hear it? Yeah, let's go. I don't care about the points. Straight up, Texas Tech Raider, Raiders over number 16, North Carolina State. That's my dog of the week. Wow, coming back to the Red Raiders off the big OT win over Houston. Um, which, by the way, Houston might be in a little bit of trouble playing at Kansas yep. team. So, 
keep an eye on Kansas plus at nine and a half. They've covered five straight going back to last year, went into Texas, beat Texas outright last year. Uh, every game this year, they've gained over 200 yards rushing, 200 yards receiving. They literally, by the way, uh, was down 14 nothing at West Virginia, came back, won that game outright, got a pick six in overtime to seal it. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm not sold on NC State. First game of the year went into East Carolina, struggled a little bit, didn't play well, ended up winning by one, I think, 21-20. East Carolina missed an extra point and a game-winning field goal. They don't win that game. Um, certainly a, a, a live dog. I, I can't argue with it. I, I can't argue with it. We'll see if uh, the dirty dog could come through. All right, Brian, on the way out, give us uh, give us an NFL pick or two that you really like this weekend. Well, I'll give you my dirty dog and a stat that's going to blow you away to, to, to back it. You ready? Yeah. Since 2005, the MAC Conference, the Mid-American Conference, the Mighty MAC, the MAC Conference has played the SEC 59 times since 2005. They're 1-58 and 58 straight up. Now, in those 59 meetings, only once has the MAC conference been favored. 2008, Miami of Ohio, minus three and a half, over who? Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt won the game by three touchdowns, 34-13. Here we go on Saturday. The Mac is favored for only the second time in 60 games. Northern Illinois minus two and a half over Vandy. And I don't care if you take the last 25 scrubs off the bench for Vandy. They are SEC athletes going against the Mac. (laughs) Sorry, boys. I'm going to take Vandy plus the two and a half over Northern Illinois. Your small, dirty dog. Um, NFL, I'll give you the biggest stat game on the board. Matt LaFleur of the Green Bay Packers, drum roll please, has only lost nine games since head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Not only has he never lost back-to-back games, he's only lost nine games. After losing those nine games, the next game out, he is a perfect 9-0 straight up, 9-0 against the spread, and they are lane 10 against the Chicago Bears. Look for the Packers to rebound and for that number to go to 10 and 0 straight up and against the spread. Brandon Lang, it is always, always a pre- pleasure getting you in the trenches. I'm getting you all kind of texts, as I always do, how you're the favorite segment of the week. Enjoy your weekend, brother, and we look forward to speaking with you next week. And if your dad didn't say it, I'll say it. I'm proud of the triple-double you had in high school. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, the starting five of Wasso. They're all probably working to get you to out of Best Buy. So it wasn't like the Flint Central or Detroit Southwestern and Jalen Rose's boys. No, no, no. It wasn't like that. Still, a triple-double is a triple-double. All right, brother. Have a great weekend, and we'll speak with you next week. Brandon Lang joining us for his weekly segment. Jeff, we see you there in the trenches, only on Sports Talk 790. Welcome in, welcome back. Appreciate Brandon Lang for his weekly segment. You know who I appreciate more than Brandon Lang? You, the listeners. 
If it's not for you, there's no reason for us to sit in front of these microphones and talk about sports. With that being said, Jeff has been patiently waiting. What's going on, Jeff? Morning, guys. Uh, happy Friday. I have two games way out west, and I'm going to try to catch them even if they're late tonight. Uh, Michigan State at Washington, I think, is underrated. And BYU at Oregon, which has gotten some press. What do you guys think of those? BYU at Oregon is going to be huge. BYU beat Baylor last week, and I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised that they beat Baylor. Oregon, another top 25 team. They, they might be right at 25, if I'm not they mistaken. Are. So that that's a, that's a good one, Jeff. That's going to be a, a big game. And what was the other one you said, Washington? Michigan, Mich- Michigan State at Washington. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know. Spartans should win that one. Okay, I, I don't like. Are you predicting an upset, or do you just think that's going to be a, a tight game? Well, I like the team colors, and I think they'll actually play some defense. Okay, Washington's a three-point favorite. The home team, yeah, really? Unranked. Give me yes. Mel Tucker. Give me Mel Tucker in the upset. Ooh, that's strong. Really? Yep. Washington and Washington's unranked, right? Yeah, unranked. Michigan State should be ranked. Michigan's eleven. How's an eleven? I can see if it was like that's a home, 24. It's just a home field advantage. Tough, tough that's just a home field in. advantage spread, though. I, mean, I get points. it, but I can see if it was a 24-25 ranking. But you're top 15 going to play an unranked team, and you're the underdog? Is that normal? I, you know, no, I, don't, I mean, that's, that's I don't your, t- your typical home field advantage well, that you get gambling-wise is three points. Where's, okay. the, where's, the, where's the BYU line at? Uh, I need to pull up. But by the way, Washington, they, week one, they beat Kent State 45 20. Week two, they beat Portland State 52. Yeah, BYU is. They've, the, not, they've not had any yeah. tests. BYU is the number 12 team in the country. Just beat Baylor, and they are three and a half point road underdogs at Oregon. I kind of see that because Oregon's ranked. And it's a tough ass. Right? Right? I mean, they're top, they're 25, and they got their ass beat by Georgia two weeks ago. Georgia, I mean. Okay, but you, you didn't even score a touchdown. Like you, at least you get a garbage time touchdown, right? Yeah, yeah but that, I'm that just surprised. But I'm not into the whole gambling world, so I don't know. I'm, I just go straight up. Like I want to tell me that you're upset with straight up wins, Mike. It looks like you were agreeing me with me. Good God, am I having a stroke? It looks <laughs> like you were agreeing with me when I was talking to Brandon Lang about my dog this week, Texas Tech over NC State. Obviously, I know you're a Red Raider and spent some time in Lubbock. Are, are you feeling that? I'm pick? buying in, man. Are you? I'm buying into the Joey McGuire era at Texas Tech. He's convinced me. The win over U of H, I'll take it. That was my gut feeling on the Matt Thomas show. I picked Tech to upset NC State. Oh, nice. Okay. You can never bet. I mean, ACC teams are always massively overrated, right? Always. Yeah, the the big deal is they're playing at NC State. So we'll we'll see how it goes. That that Washington pick, by the way, Mm -hmm. their head coach, Kalen DeBoer. Google that guy. That's a football guy right there. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him. Oh, God. If you saw that guy, you go, that's a football coach. That's like your generic. Dude, he probably yells at people constantly. I will check him out. 713-212-5790. Let's head out to the Med Center and bring in our good buddy C. Murder, a.k.a. Corey. I know you're excited about your Chiefs, brother. What's going on? Hey, hey. Happy Friday. It's a beautiful morning Chiefs kingdom, Andy. Hey, let's let's note that first off, your boy Brandon Lang is a renowned Mahomes hater. Mm. So let's just jot that down. First off, he bets against Mahomes every single time he's on there. So we're gonna just lock uh, knock uh, I'm sorry, mark him down as a full hater here. Anyway, hey, all I gotta say is could've, should've, would've. 
fellas. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you can say, I mean, you can say that with every single game. That gets on my nerves with people like, well, if this happened, this outcome would be different. Of course, anybody can play that game. That's one of those things about uh, complaining about refs. It's kind of like loser talk, and, you know, I'm saying I'm really ever, ever not going to come on here and say, well, if we did this, we might win. So that's loser talk. He's just salty. Brandon Lang is a hater. Anyway, so, I mean, the division, it, division it, all the games are going to be like this, Indy. Yes, it could have one play here, one play there, but the Chargers, this is their story. Uh, like Connor said, every single year they win the uh, off-season championship, they have this potential, and they fall flat. Until they get over the hump and make a decision, uh, make I'm sorry, make the plays to win the game, you know, they're going to be the same old Chargers. You have to know how to win the game, you know what I'm saying? So this is this woulda coulda shoulda stuff. It's just ridiculous. They took the they took the L. You know, saying Chiefs rolling two and zero. Let's get it. Hey, who was their leading rusher last night, Corey? Uh, that would be a Mr. Clyde Edwards. Yes, Taylor it was. Yes, sir. He back. Out, you, boy. He back. Let's go, Clyde. Stop disrespecting okay. that well, man. Oh, no. Hey, nobody ever said Zaleer was bad. He you just did. can't stay healthy. It's game two. It's game two. Let, 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 him, let, him, let him, hey, let him play 17 games, 16 games, and then we'll see. This is game two, but. Well, y'all need you know to protect saying, him. But, y'all need to keep him healthy, all right? Okay. Now, okay. He got he got hurt four times in the last two years, so it, that that's the line. Okay. All right. But um. But yeah. Uh. But all the games are going to be like this. AFC West is the best division by far. I think every single AFC West game is going to be like this. It's going to be close. It's, it's just a matter who's going to make that um game winning play. Who's not? You got to know how to win. And I think sometimes knowing how to win is a skill that a lot of people don't talk about. People just talk about. Uh, measurables on paper, but knowing how win is a skill, and obviously the Chargers don't have it. All right, Phils, I appreciate it. Thanks for saying my call. I'll chop it up with you later. Well said. I agree. The whole, this team should have won, could have won. No, whoever wins should have won. Quick timeout. Speaking of winning, you want your Houston Texans to beat Denver. Let's learn about the enemy. Yeah, a little scouting report. We're going to head up to Denver next. Talk with Cody Rourke, uh, reporter for Mile High Sports, when we return. You're in the trenches. Stand up, get your hands up. With ND Kalu. Welcome and welcome back on this football Friday. I'm ND Kalu. He is Chris Gordy, Michael Connor in the studio with us if you want to jump in 713-212-5790 as we effort to get our buddy cody rourke he is a longtime uh, denver broncos reporter up there from mile high sports hosts the uh, locked on broncos podcast and uh does a good job up there so i'll try to get him on here in a sec cody's always locked on man oh yeah he's uh, but you know what's locked on usually the sec Usually the SEC is he has that podcast, but those locked on guys, they're locked on. They know their stuff, so definitely want to, because when you think Denver for the casual fan or for the Houston Texan fan, you know, you just think about uh, the Russell Wilson, but there's obviously more to that story. They have a pretty good running game, so it'll be good to learn and figure out what they got going on. Can I give you my hot take from yesterday's show when you were out? Please do. 
I said in this show with Gordy, I think Russell Wilson, I completely believe the story that Seattle put out there. I think he's lost a big step. I think he's on the downhill hard. Do you think it's a match job? Some kind of injury he's not reporting, but no, it's obvious when he, he plays. He can still throw, but like watch him last week, and mm-hmm. it said it in this article that ESPN had the other day. Just blitz the hell out of him when he has to move. I don't think he can do anything. But you don't drop like that that quickly. So I wonder if he's covering something, or you just know. think age, like, father time, finally yeah, caught like, up with him. He, he didn't just... look that great. I mean, parts of that game you can say Geno Smith outplayed him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the Texans can beat them this week if they just blitz the hell out of them. I think anybody can beat them just by doing. I, I like their team, but like I watch him and I'm just like, something's definitely missing. Seven one three two one two five seven nine zero. A lot of people are saying they wouldn't be surprised if they finished last in arguably the toughest division mm-hmm. in the NFL. Allen, what's going on, Allen? Hey, Andy, how y'all doing? Love Good. y'all show. Thank you, brother. So. Um, I'm a I'm a football fan, but I'm not real uh, knowledgeable about a lot of things. So let me just ask you a question. When I was watching the A&M game, there's like five kids beside Jimbo, and they all got headphones on, and they're all waving their arms. Is that is that is one of them guys sending in signals, and the other ones are just false signals? So that, that's exactly what it is. And typically, I didn't know it was up to five, but most of those guys are your backup quarterbacks, Allen. And what you have is the starting quarterback who's on the field. He's looking for the play. Sometimes it's hand signals. Sometimes you'll get a sign when you see those big cardboard signs on the side. But what they yeah, do, yeah, they yeah. have multiple. You called it. I mean, this is a long-winded me- answer of me saying, yes, you're correct. But you'll have multiple guys so the other team can't steal the signals. Because okay, so they don't know who you're them, at. Like I said, they were all like, you knew they were coming. I mean, they're all college kids. They got their hats backwards. They got their headphones on. And I'm thinking, who's doing what here? So, and, they, But they don't have that. Now, in the pros, they don't do that. Is that correct? I have not seen it. I, you know, it's hard for me to, when you talk about 32 teams in the pros, I've never seen yeah. that, but I, I don't know. And keep in mind, in the pros, they have the, uh, the earphones so the, the coach can talk directly to the quarterback up until the snap, up until the cadence. Also, so, go ahead. So in the pros, does the offensive coordinator upstairs call the play down to the head coach and he says, yes, let's run that play? Or no, let's don't run that play and then call it into the quarterback. Is that how that works? Good question. It's team by team. Every team's different. Yeah. But but that okay. that's okay. ideally how it works. Also, Allen, for your backup quarterback, they want him to learn the hand signals and to understand the calls. So I don't know who they're designating as the next man up. But they'll have him yeah. send in the real calls because they want to make sure when he gets in the game, if he gets in the game, he understands exactly what's going on. He knows what's going on. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. all right, good. I just, I was just confused. I was like, you know, I was just curious what's going on there. So, all right. thanks. I appreciate it. Love the show. Appreciate it why anytime. Twenty twenty two. Why haven't we advanced to college football having the headset in their helmets? I like, think they, I think they do now. It's it's one or two players, right? It's I don't know. Defense, I, I've never heard offense. it for college. It could be. I've I've not heard that. The uh, I think it was Oregon that started with you know because it's it's really it's because of the no huddle offense mm-hmm. um, that they've adapted to the sign you know. But it's like you hold up the sign. It's like the Kool Aid Man. 
uh, who's ever you know, a pop well, culture, like a Philadelphia so. Eagle. Uh, you know, it's like uh, a lot of those are for you know, like Andy said, smoke signals, and then some are just for a specific alignment. Maybe it's just the DBs are looking for that. For oh, we know we're we're going. Uh, you know, whatever we're playing off, or, or we're manning up, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to think back to the advent of when that started. Because, and then you got the guys with the towels that like are, are trying to hide. You know, that's I, I think they so they weird. overdo the whole hiding, <laughs> even with the coaches. And I could be dead wrong, but when they use the play play sheet to cover their mouth when you they're are, talking, I'm like, every, are you really that concerned? In every single sport, this happens now. Yeah. Guys refuse to, and I don't get like baseball. They go out, they put the glove. I watch a lot of soccer. We're talking soccer in the middle of the game. The guys are on the field talking to each other. They're covering their mouth. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why can't you just, do you really think, are they that, they're that paranoid that somebody's watching a TV screen and trying to decipher what they're saying? NFL, I get. College is NFL like, a little bit, sure. Because well, if you equal. get in the NFL, why don't you, I would get it in college. I just, and again, maybe there's, there's these, look, we saw it last night. When you have two good teams, it comes down to one play or the, the margin of victory is very thin. So maybe there will be a team, New England Patriots, who spend time just, re, re, you know, hiring a lip reader and trying to get somebody to uh, dissect for some kind of code. But yeah, I feel like they're overly paranoid. And I don't know if y'all notice it in basketball, but it's not really when they're talking about plays. Even it'll be after a game when LeBron James goes to hug the guy that they just played against, and he's probably giving him some words of encouragement. But he always uses his jersey and covers yeah. up his mouth, <laughs> like, "Oh, I don't want TMZ to." I always thought he likes the smell of himself <laughs> when he sweats. <laughs> yeah, but it's like he doesn't want TMZ Sports to pick up what he's telling the you know the encouraging words that he's given to his opponent. Yeah, it's it's just it's you know, it's it's a weird thing that's kind of evolved through uh through college football, but I've known with a few people I've talked to have said like a lot of times it's just like that one thing you're looking for. Tony the Tiger on Frosted Flakes. You know, you put him on a on a poster. Oh, when we see that, we know we're switching to whatever. But uh but yeah, I think it's cuz of the no huddle cuz it's just so how many teams when you watch college football nowadays doesn't it feel like at least half the teams now run some version of tempo of, oh, that play worked. Let's go. Let's all hurry up to the line and keep this thing going. Well, it's deep. They have the tempo offense. Your defensive coordinator, he'll give you three or four plays. Okay, if they line up in this and we don't have a chance to do the huddle, this is what you're going to run. And everyone knows what they're doing. But something about that momentum, and it's just it's very tough to defend. I'm surprised more teams don't. Well, do specifically it. in college, Lane Kiffin, you know, is big on this. And while we see other teams combat it, did you watch the Tennessee Ole Miss game last year? Tennessee, oh man, my leg! You right. know, players instantly fall to the ground. And there's been so many discussions about this because you know what they're doing. You know, it's a fake injury. You know, it's a fake cramp, and it's just a slow How do down. You know, the you're offense. on their body. Well. I mean, come on. There's, there's been guys walking off the field that they just drop to the, like, literally like a sniper <laughs> took them out. They just fall. But, like, they, there's been talk to the NCAA, like, they want to make a punishment for that. You but can't, how can you? You can't. How can you police Because them? there's going to be one that one time where somebody has a torn ACL and you try to punish them, and it's just going to be the one of the worst well, looks for college football. Here's what I said, and, and this would be, I, I don't know if this is fair or not, but I would say if you fall down and you're and, and we have to, and that other team is running tempo and you fall down, you have to come out at least for that for that drive. You can't come come out one play and come right back in. 
If it was that serious that you that's fell also down and That's also the clock. unfair because if you actually have a real cramp yeah, and you go cramp. over and you get it to stop and then you can go back in two plays later, why, why shouldn't you be able to go back I would back say in? only on defense. Like if you're if you're a defensive player and you fell down to the ground and that team team is running offense tempo and you yeah but then you're also leaving the clock, out it's subjective to what is considered tempo the other team might be like well we're not actually running tempo we're just going to the line and call I, I get what you're trying to but no I, I get what you're trying to combat against but no I mean football is such a violent sport and demanding on the body you don't want to get in a situation where the ref is up. Oh, I'm not sure if this is real or the rules try to dictate whether or not you're injured and punishing you if you truly are. That no. I'm trying to think of a way to I like no, I don't like losing a timeout. Because guys get injured. You know what? Just gotta go off the honor code. <laughs> the honor code and and because that's bad karma, too. Like You have some football players. If Coach Connor says, hey, uh, I want you to pretend you're injured on this play, it's like, no, nah, like, I ain't pretending yeah. nothing because that, that's bad juju. That's bad karma. Kind of like not parking in a handicap zone because, one, out of respect, but, two, it's like, no, that's bad karma. So, not, I, yeah, I, I just don't know if that's anything that you can regulate. I got to go. I got to go move my car. Uh oh. <laughs> oh god. Seven one three two one two five seven nine oh. I think we're gonna get Cody Rourke coming up next. So we'll head up to Denver and we'll get a little sample size on now. What the Texans should expect. Andy, do you know what the line is on this game? No, I don't do lines. Okay, just guess. If you had to guess. Okay, it's in Denver, I'll say at least seven, right? I was gonna say six. It is ten. Oh wow. Texans plus hmm. ten. So that you're telling me you would take the Texans plus the 10 right now. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely do that. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll see if I'm right after we'll we lock speak. it in. All right. Go, quick timeout. Don't forget to join us right here in the trenches only on Sports Talk 790. The shadow from the starlight is softer than a lullaby. Rocky Mountain High. When you hear that song, it means you're somewhere up in the mountains of Denver, Colorado. And join us now to talk all things about the Houston Texans going up to Denver to play the 0-1 Denver Broncos is our buddy Cody Rourke. He is the host of Locked on Broncos, and he joins us now. Cody, what's up, man? Not too much, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Well, you know, we're just excited about our, uh, you know, our Texans who don't have a loss we don't have a loss in the loss column. The Denver Broncos do, yet for some reason we are 10-point underdogs coming up there, Cody. Uh, just your general thoughts on what you saw out of the Broncos in Week 1 as they had a, a very uh, tough trip up the Seattle hostile environment where a lot of fans were uh, not big fans of Russell Wilson up there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Seahawks fans' behavior towards Russ is one of the weirdest things ever. I mean, we all know the facts that both sides mutually didn't see eye to eye, and both sides mutually agreed it was best apart. So it was just odd seeing just the reception a guy who brought them a Super Bowl does, and we'll see, like, you know, if there's ever a Ring of Fame moment in the future, we'll see if uh, we'll see what Russ decides to do. We'll even see if he decides to retire as a Seahawk one day. I mean, I would be surprised at this point if he does. Uh, but, you know, Denver, there were – 
despite the loss, there were a lot of good things. That, you know, the, the Broncos offense was able to move the ball at will against Seattle. Over 433 total yards of offense, the, the big difference here. Two fumbles on the one-yard line for the Broncos. And then you had a penalty uh, on the five-yard line once you had a shovel pass to Andrew Betts for a touchdown. They got wiped off the board. It just Things didn't bounce the Broncos' way on Monday. There were a lot of good things to take away from it. But Denver's got to be a little bit more disciplined. They've got to clean up penalties. They had 12 penalties for over 120 yards in the loss. And they gave Seattle seven first downs out of their total 19 first downs due to penalties. So you just have to buckle down be a little bit more disciplined. But you're going to face a little bit of a tough test this week because the Houston Texans defense, very aggressive, plays downhill, will probably look to stop the run first. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how Houston plays Denver. Speaking of Houston, a lot of their success is going to come up front, Cody. And I saw the last game, one of y'all started offensive lineman, Cameron Fleming. He was still injured. What's the status on Cameron once he expected to get back out there? Uh, Cam Fleming's all good. Billy Turner uh, is, is one of the other guys that is coming back healthy. Not sure if he's going – he's not going to start this week. Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett told me yesterday that – uh, they're going to start Cam Fleming here once again. Um, but outside of that, they're hoping that Billy Turner can be back. There is, they're not ruling out that he may be a backup this week as he gets acclimated. He just participated for the first time in full team drills this week. So I don't think they're going to throw him out there into the fire. If something happens to Cam Fleming, they do have Calvin Anderson as a backup tackle as well, a guy who can play left or right tackle. He, you know, he offers a lot of versatility there. Uh, but they did lose Quinn Miners at right guard in the Seattle game to a hamstring. He's going to be out at least four weeks is the expectation, but they have veteran right guard Graham Glasgow who stepped in, was a starter for them all last year before suffering a broken leg. So he's kind of stepping back into that starting role there for the Broncos on the offensive line. And actually, you're too kind. It's actually Billy Turner, who, who I'll speak of, and Cameron Fleming stepped in for, for him, correct? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, Billy Turner was the one I saw on the sidelines, and, you know, I remember him from his Green Bay days. All right, let's, let's talk some skill position, guys. I still think Denver has a chance to be good, to turn the season around with Cortland Sutton. Cut Sutton, Cortland Sutton with uh, Russell Wilson, what he's been able to do. I don't think he just forgot how to play football. Javante Williams showed a little bit of spark. Uh, what does the fan base in Denver think about Javante Williams? What should the Houston Texan defense look for in trying to stop him? Yeah, Javante is a fan favorite. He runs hard, he's physical, and he was finally unleashed a little bit in the passing game this past week on Monday Night Football. The Broncos under Pat Shermer last year did not do that with him as a rookie, so he offers versatility out of the backfield as a pass catcher. But he's just a hard runner in between the tackles. He's also got some deceptive speed to be able to make one cut and get upfield really quickly. But he's also hard to bring down. He was a common feature on uh, Good Morning Football's angry runs last year, dragging defenders from multiple yards. Uh, so he's going to be a heavy feature of the offense alongside Melvin Gordon as well. You're going to see a healthy dose of those two guys. Um, but that, that's really kind of the run game here. Now for Houston, you know, I'm watching film, especially against Jonathan Taylor. I mean, John Taylor still went for over 161 yards, but he had to do it on 31 attempts, which uh, you know, that means that Houston made him work for almost every yard that he got last week. I noticed they play a little bit wide on the defensive ends, and they have three linebackers that field downhill and the other remaining gaps alongside the two defensive tackles. So it's going to have to be uh, one of those games where Denver's smart, methodical, takes good angles, does a good job sealing 
uh, play side backers, you know, if it's an outside run and, and trying to get extra yardage there, you just got to have to be efficient on that. And I think uh, for the Broncos, that's going to be a challenge for them this week, especially with how aggressive Lovey, Lovey Smith is defensively, especially downhill. That, to me, I think is going to be a huge key for the game. Okay, uh, Cody, as a fantasy football owner of uh, Cortland Sutton and uh, and Jerry Judy, I was a little concerned with the targeting of all tight ends and running backs early in this game. Is is Russ? Is that just what he does? Is he or was that just last week how the uh, Seahawks were presenting defensively? Because I know they got they got the got the receivers involved a little bit more as the game went along, but man, early on it felt like it was all tight ends and running backs. <laughs> Well, that was based on really how Seattle was coming out and playing them initially. Denver knew that Seattle was going to come out and play with an aggressive front and really try to play hard coverage on Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy on the outside. So what Denver did is they went with a less methodical approach that nobody anticipated. Andrew Beck, a fullback out of the backfield, getting involved in the passing game on a wheel route. Uh, and they capitalized on that. So Denver is just testing a lot of different things right now, opening it up, which I think is a good thing because if you get limited to just – Focusing on one or two guys in your passing attack, you know, defenses can game plan for you a little bit more easier. So when you have production coming from anywhere and everywhere, I think that's good. And the the Broncos have really embraced having a balanced offensive approach, not just with Cortland Sutton. He had four catches, 75 yards, was very efficient against zone coverage. And then you had Jerry Judy had the big 67-yard play. Outside of that, he finished with over 100 yards, and he scored his first touchdown of the season, which, I mean, for him, the last time he scored a touchdown was all the way at the the end of the regular season in 2020. Uh, So Pat Shermer didn't really feature him too much in the offense. So now the Broncos have an offensive attack that's going to feature anybody and everybody. While people may think it may be Cortland Sutton one week, it could be rookie Montreal Washington one week, it could be K.J. Hamler the next week. There's going to be a very balanced offensive passing attack. When you look at the interior of your defensive line, I don't know if you just heard, uh, Cody, but here in Houston, the news, Justin Britt, starting center for the Houston Texans, it looks like he's contemplating retirement and he won't play this week. So uh, Questenberry, his backup, will be starting at center. It looks like he'll be going against DJ Jones, uh, Mike Purcell. What, what type of players will he be facing against? Uh, he's going to be facing against some heavy anchors there, specifically Purcell and DJ Jones. DJ Jones plays a lot of the one tech. He'll play sometimes in a two eye, but you know, they they like to get him on the one or the zero tech, head up on the center to just kind of command that. But he is a load. He's fast. He's strong. He's physical on the inside. Uh, and he can shoot the gap really quickly. Same thing with Mike Purcell. He offers the same exact skill set. But, you know, I think they view both of those guys as guys that can complement one another rather than being out there, you know, an entire drive. You can rotate and keep those guys fresh. Then you got Draymond Jones, who's a force as a defensive end for the Broncos. Had a lot of good plays against the Seattle Seahawks, specifically against the run. Oh, and then you have to figure out how to, you know, how to contain a little bit of Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb, who's coming off of a two-sack performance this past week. Uh, Denver's defensive line, I mean, the defense gave up quite a few yardage uh, in that first half, as you guys saw Monday Night Football. They buckled down in the second half, only allowing Seattle to score, uh, have only 34 total yards of offense in the second half there. So uh, they buckled down, but, you know, they're going to be without Justin Simmons for the next four weeks as he went on IR with a quad injury. So that's actually a huge blow for Denver. Josie Jewell is anticipated to practice today and could play on Sunday against the Texans as well. But if those two guys don't play, that's a huge blow for the Broncos defensively, two of their main signal callers. All right, Cody. Moment of truth. Give me your prediction. Uh, what's the What happens on Sunday between the uh, Texans and Broncos? 
Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a tough game in the first half. I think the Broncos, though, are going to come out and, and kind of play with this. You know, one thing we, we heard from Russell Wilson, play with an unwavering mentality. You know, for them, it was a huge letdown. But they weren't dejected in the locker room after the game. They realized a lot of the mistakes they made, they, they're correctable. And so I think the Broncos, for Russell Wilson's first game at Empower Field of the Mile High in front of 76,000 fans wearing orange, it's going to be a different reception than what he got in Seattle. I think the Broncos come out relentless this week, but I do think it's going to be a challenge. People, I don't know why people continue to overlook the Houston Texans. I think with the defense that they have, how aggressive they are, Davis Mills rising up. And can we please, you know, look, this is just from a Broncos perspective as an outsider. Can the Texans please feed Damian Harris the ball a little bit? I don't know why they continue Pierce, to go yeah. with Rex Burkhead <laughs> over the rookie. That was an odd situation to watch week one. You just became the fan of every Houston Texan. Uh, they became a fan of yours. <laughs> every Houston Texan fan out there. Damian Pierce not getting enough touches. Cody, we appreciate your time and your expertise, brother. Appreciate you guys so much. Have a good rest of your day and uh, good luck on Sunday. I appreciate it. Cody Rourke joining us to let us know about the enemy. Quick timeout if you want to jump in. 713-212-5790. And how much does it cost to woo one of the top recruits in the country? We'll talk about that and much more in the trenches only on Sports Talk 790. Don't. 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 Welcome in and welcome back. A couple more segments to go before we call it a week. If you want to jump in, 713-212-5790. Michael saw a story on... The Athletic. The Athletic. Sam Khan Jr. had it this morning. Oh, shout out to Sam Khan. Yeah. And UT did a little more than roll out the red carpet for... Archie Manning and the other recruits on yeah. this weekend. So you you know this because your kid's going through it recently. Um, recruiting is a different level these days. And at Texas, it's gone to a really different level in the Sark era when they were recruiting Arch Manning. Back on June 17th, he made his official visit that weekend to Texas along with nine other recruits. Through the Open Records uh, Request Act or whatever that you can do through a state school like this, the Athletic obtained that they spent nearly $280,000, the school did, on this recruiting weekend for that weekend for the kids and the you could bring up to four parents or four family members with you uh, to the recruiting weekend. Some of the things that here are built up from the, um, the expenses, $21,000 on airfare, car service, or travel expenses, which I guess you expect when you right. have that kind of amount of people coming. Um, how about this? They spent over $1,800 on personalized cakes that were waiting in each player's room when they get there. Also, they stocked up the rooms with personalized, on top of this, cookie cakes. Um, the players' favorite candies, snacks, uh, which one of the players said was filled with like Skittles and Twix and trolley gummy worms, because that's what he loves, including different versions of beef jerky. Um, they also spent an incredible amount on food throughout the entire weekend. Um, they spent actually thirty or forty-six thousand dollars on the thirty-four rooms at the hotel that they were uh, staying at, which is in downtown Austin. Of course, they're kind of expensive and nice. They also spent seventeen thousand dollars on the lunch buffet for the first day there. Um, they cleared sixty-five thousand dollars in total before they even stepped foot on campus for this visit. I will say this, those numbers 
are, are crazy. Now, keep in mind, for the story, you have to put Archie Manning or Arch Manning's name on it. Keep in mind, we're talking about, what, nine nine recruits? Yeah. So then you each one could bring up to three three family members, so 20. Oh, no, you said four family members. They could each up bring four, up four, yes. Yeah, so my point is, yes, they spend a lot of money, and yes, they um, they really treat these players, you know, like they're kings, and they should. That's what recruiting's all about. But but when you break it down, it's like okay, I, I can see how you get to that number, and it's funny because as you're talking about this now, I know UT's budget is much bigger than Baylor's, but the things that you're saying. When we when we got to Waco All the stuff in the room, and the stuff that's go. in the room, I'm yeah. like, what is this? Like, and then um, they did it for my older son who was being recruited, and my younger son who was there. He had his own room, and they treated him like he was being oh. recruited. I was like, yeah. So I could only imagine what UT does for their players. So this the, the old the old uh, Alec Baldwin quote from the Glenn Gary Glenn Ross: "The ABC always be closing, always be, closing. Always always be, be recruiting." Always I mean, be even recruiting. though you've always got these recruiting. kids committed, you still got to be whining and oh, dining absolutely. them. And so how about this? That first night they had dinner at the uh, JW Marriott downtown, which I was at. We actually went there this past weekend. And uh, set it out on the rooftop bar. Nice. Very swanky. Very nice. And they probably rented the whole place out, right? Yes, they did. Yeah. They spent... What did it cost you uh, for a cocktail? The meal. So the meal complete with cocktails, beer, wine, flatware rental, a bartender's fee, and an ice sculpture, $30,000. Yeah. <laughs> what do you need an ice sculpture? They ordered more than 40... Or they had more than 40 glasses of Tito's Vodka ordered at one point. The, uh, the, parents. the parents, yes. <laughs> they also had somebody that ordered multiple glasses of $70 glasses of Johnny Walker Blue. I can tell you the bar prices at this place were definitely expensive. Um, after the, all this, so they got the parents drunk all night long, and they went back to their hotel, which was, you'd think J.W. Marriott's good enough to stay right. at when you go there. They took them back to their hotel, and what happens when you usually get drunk, right? Later in the night, you what get happens? Hungry. You get hungry. Oh, so so parents got back, and they were like, "Oh, we're going to order some food, Uber Eats." No, 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 no. They already knew that these parents are going to be drunk and have the munchies. They had another buffet set up at two a.m. in the morning at this hotel <laughs> that totaled more than six thousand wow. dollars worth of food for them to eat at two o'clock in the morning. It's all for the parents. It was all for the parents. It's Literally all, all this. The next day, they had a um, they had another breakfast buffet that also had mimosas and whatnot. That was another ten grand there. Why ain't um, DK following Arch over to Texas? Come on, you could have been there. Waco did the same thing. <laughs> they went to, they went to Top Golf after that. Spent another ten grand there. Uh, then they had a big dinner the night after that at a uh, steak or at the Four Seasons, I should say, the steakhouse there at the Four Seasons, where the bill totaled up to thirty seven thousand uh, dollars. Then they had a social night afterwards. At the W Hotel, which ended up costing a whopping $32,000. Oh, and then on top of that, they also did a boat ride that was uh, $3,000. boat ride? Yeah. This just in, Alabama's budget, 1000 bucks. Nick Saban just takes a flight, puts his rings on the coffee table, and says, do you want to be a part of so this? So did those kids, like... Did they, I didn't look at the schedule. I know Arch just played a couple Thursday nights, but did they play Thursday or Friday night last week? No, this was in June. This was in June. Oh, this, this was, was in June. June. Yeah, before okay. the season. Gotcha. Yeah, right. before the yeah. season. I was thinking, started. I don't know why. I was thinking. Oh, it they was also spent a ton of money the on the Bama game. You know, this when they do recruiting, now they have all the, the video shoots. Or yeah. The, they do the pictures. Oh, they love the it. With the music. So and... they say the problem with these are, and I don't know how it was at Baylor, is that there's usually when you have this many kids, 
it gets boring after a while because it takes a while, and there's you're doing it in one location, so there's a lot of sitting around. Well, it's in the locker room. It's okay, in the locker room. So and- they thought this out. Uh-huh. They rented a bunch of equipment and went to different locations and t- sent every kid to a different spot. Wow. Where they all did them at the same time. Wow. But they spent like $3,000 on video equipment or uh, picture equipment for this place, and $3,000 here, like insane amounts of money lesson it's good to have money yeah in all walks of life larry what's up larry lair so y'all basically are saying they didn't stay at the embassy suite or the motel six <laughs> and uh, where they leave the light on and the, the the buffet breakfast in the morning where you can get an omelet made Y'all, y'all saying UT didn't pull out them red carpets like that? Look, Look man, we if, if it was me, I would have told uh, Sarge, <laughs> j- just give me the 50 G's and I'll take care of the rest. Exactly, man. Just send and write that check to me. I'll take it back to the crib. We got everything else covered. Me and my son will be staying over here at the Western Maine. We'll go get us a steak at VY uh, Steakhouse and we'll call it a trip. And I'm pretty sure they still had all them other recruits come in for that Bama game because it was 105,000 people there. And I know some of my boys' sons was up there. So, you know, this this is the world we're living in now, man. And when you got more money than God, which Texas has, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised if they hadn't had an attachment to Sark House where the recruits just go down this dirt road and there's a whole nother house that they all go in and take care of or whatever they need to get done because Big Texan them got all that money, Indy. And we know when they put on them cowboy hats and start drinking that old Tennessee whiskey, it ain't nothing that's going to stop them from getting what they want. But I want to chime in on a couple other things, man. Um, we need to talk about Brett Favre real quick. And we need to talk about why. It's always people like them. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Give this trash a second chance. It was hoping hard to recycle plastics can be so much more participate in the hefty energy bag program happening in your neighborhood today chingaling 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 oh whoa you never know what the night might bring it's the number one libido supplement for men and women's sexual health with only one tablet twice a week or as needed you can turn your gorilla into king Kong. why be good when you can be great Order yours today at Chingabrands.com. That's C-H-I-N-G-A Brands.com. Always free shipping, always a good, good time. That mess over black folks and poor folks and things like that, man. Brett Favre is a clown. And we knew he was a clown when he was doing all that other stuff when he was in Green Bay holding them hostages about their contract. He was chiming in on other people's contracts and things like that. But to do that to people in Mississippi, man, really, when you ain't made all that money and you got more money than you can lead to your kids, Brett Favre is a joke, man. And the fact that this country has all these old powerful, silly-ass, stupid-ass white men that do this kind of stuff to folks that don't have nothing and then turn around and want to have somebody that a parent died or whatever and want them to send back their last Social Security check 
right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Because plastics can be so much more. Give this trash a second chance it was hoping hard to recycle plastics can be so much more participate in the hefty energy bag program happening in your neighborhood today while they sending money over to ukraine and all this other stuff while people don't have running water and food but brett Favre get to kick his feet up on that old john deere tractor and lie to everybody's face this country man i sometimes i i wonder how did we get here because i remember when i used to really really appreciate that whole concept of the american dream but then i started realizing these bums were lying but i'm gonna get back to sports but i just had to talk about bread because it makes me sick because we should quit doing this to people that don't have the opportunity to do the things and live the kind of lives that we live in this country people are living under highways and don't have food living under bridges and we continue to treat them like they're not american citizens and it makes me sick to my stomach Going back to them Texas, um, big boy Justin Britt, he done, man. And, 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 and it's unfortunate because we knew he was done last year. His ass should have retired before he came to training camp. Don't let him go because I saw what Indianapolis was doing to him. He don't want to play football no more, man. And that's unfortunate, but he ain't made a lot of money, but he can move on. What the Texans need to do is put somebody there in center and go ahead and anchor that offensive line for the years to come with Titus Howard and Kenyon Green, and then they can go up to Denver because I got them just like I had Texas beating Alabama last week, which they should have done. I got some Texans beating them Broncos. Indy, I'm not a Mr. Unlimited fan, but I can tell you this, I'm definitely not a Davis Mills fan in our hall. <laughs> Appreciate that. I- I'll say this real quick about, and we just didn't get to it, we weren't hiding from it, the Brett Favre thing. It hurts me and my mom was right. My sister and I argued with my mom two Sundays ago that Brett Favre had no idea. I said, man, Brett Favre didn't know what was going on. That's not oh, on him. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, call me naive. Like, <laughs> I thought it was one of those situations because he's such a big entity and he's a business that his PR people were, like, taking money and didn't tell him what to do. So that 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 hurt. And I R- called my quick. mom and I was all... You know what? Here's your I told you so moment. Go ahead. I and didn't tell read me. the whole. So he, it was something he to do with they did. wanted to build a volleyball, volleyball court There's at, text Southern, Miss, text at Southern Miss for because his, his daughter was going to play volleyball there and they wanted to use taxpayer or uh, welfare money fu- funds to build that. Correct. Okay. I just and, to and he knew. And I thought he just didn't know. So shame on me. All right. Quick timeout. We have our picks coming up next in the trenches only on Sports Talk 790. Welcome in, welcome back. Let's get right into it. Unfortunately, I don't know if we'll have time after the picks to get to the calls. Don't wait till the last segment. I want to talk to you people all day. Don't wait till the last five minutes, especially on a Friday when we have to do our picks. Let me get right into it. There, there are a few college games that I'm really interested in, but I want to get both of y'all's picks on these games. Miami at Texas A&M. I know that A&M's at home when they're coming off of a tough loss. They're starting a new quarterback. I'm taking Miami still. Ooh. I just I just think the A&M season's they're at the teetering point where things are going to go south. Miami's t- 
top receiver is out this game, who's also the quarterback's roommate. So they have that chemistry. So does that influence your oh, thought at no. all? No. I, okay. I think I'm just a believer in Mario Cristobal. Okay. Xavier Strepo, I think yeah. is his name. He's out. Uh, look, Aggies have been around a five-and-a-half-point favorite. It was six yesterday. It's now up to six-and-a-half. Wow. People are hammering the Aggies. They think that... I just feel like... It, I'm with my guy, Billy Lucci. He tweeted out earlier in the week. He said, you're going to see a different team on Saturday night. And what does that mean? They were sleepwalking. It was an early game against App State. They were not up for that game at all. You got caught sleeping. You got caught. You got the L. I think we see a much more inspired effort from the Aggies on Saturday. I'm still going to make a bet and bet on Miami straight up to win because I think the odds are the payout's too good there. But if I had to make a pick, I'm picking the Aggies to win this one at home and rebound. I'm also picking A&M. So two of us picking A&M, Michael picking Miami. Let's go UTSA at Texas. Is this a trap game for UT? No, I mean, it could be, you know, emotional letdown after a big game. But I think I think they're coming off of that game Saturday not going, God, we're so close. I think they're coming off of going, man, we are we are as good as we think we are. We hung with the number one team or number two team now in Alabama. Let's go wreak havoc. Let's run through the schedule. Let's get some dubs. I think it'll be hot, tighter, though, than they're expecting because Hudson Card. Hudson Card's not good. Yeah. I mean, like, they have a good team around that, but, like, Without Quinn Ewers, they're gonna they're gonna struggle to score. Is he starting? Yeah, Hudson Card. Okay, because I knew he was also kind of uh, gimpy against the uh, Alabama. All right, let's run through these next two: Texas Tech at North, uh, North Carolina State. I've already said I have Tech winning this game in my I'll, upset. I'll take my Red Raiders. All right, I'll take I'll take uh, NC State. They're they're a really good team. And this is an underrated good game: Kansas Jayhawks. 2-0, just beat West Virginia. They're playing U of H right here in H Town. Yeah, this is a big one for U of H. They've got his first home game at TDCU. You got to put that loss behind you. Play, you know, a couple overtime games. Put Kansas away. Uh, again, Kansas much better coach team with with Lance Leopold, and they got some dudes. But you know, the, it's it's all in this offense. It's all in Clayton Toon. Put up four or five touchdowns and get the home win. I've been uninspired by watching U of H offensively so far. I have a bad feeling about this weekend. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, Cooch fans. I just don't have a good feeling. Translations, Jayhawks. All right, we only have time for Houston at Denver. Is it at Denver or is it here? Yeah, it's at Denver. Denver. Oh, yeah. That line has still been at 10. Uh, let me give you a stat, though. I tweeted it out. This goes back to my old buddy Mike Dettelier. He's been covering the NFL for a long time. This is a stat, ND, you cannot deny Something like 82% of the time when a team loses their starting center, they lose the next game. Mm. If Justin Britt is not playing, the Texans are losing this game. Now, the spread is 10. I might be inclined to take the Texans plus the 10 if I'm making a sports bet. But as far as winning the game, Texans have no shots. Denver Broncos. I don't think the Texans are going to win, but I think it'll be tighter than the 10. I do believe they'll cover. Unfortunately, I'm taking Denver with the issues that you have on the offensive line. Denver coming off that loss. I'm not ready, like Michael Connor, to give up on Russell Wilson just yet. So He's I, done. I think he has a bounce back hey, The game. good news is it'll only be the Texans' first loss of the season. That's it. If that's the, <laughs> Hopefully we're wrong, but if that's the case. Thank you to everybody that's listened throughout the entire week. Thank you all for holding it down the two days I was in class. Shout out to the guys that I met in class who listened to the show. Enjoy your weekend of football. God willing, same time, same place. Monday in the trenches, only on Sports Talk 790. 
Great news for Georgia Medicaid members. Now's your chance to become part of the Peach State Health Plan family. With our quality Medicaid insurance, we get you access to a large network of doctors and pediatricians near you. With more than 42,000 providers to choose from, we'll help you get the care you need close to home. And at Peach State Health Plan, we support the whole you with vision, dental, and mental health coverage so you're fully taken care of. Get Medicaid that covers more from Peach State Health Plan. Go to pickpeachstate.com to learn more. Audio Jumps. Jungle.